Hi, and welcome to Coco Disaster. I'm Chorpsoy. And I'm Zane Zero. And we're finally closing the door on 2017 coverage with this, our Anime of the Year Awards show. Woo! What a prestigious event. Oh my god, the Osamatsus are coming down the red carpet! Ah! Anyways... Uh, anyways, so, uh, we're, we're here together just to talk about some of our favorite, I guess a little bit of our least favorite stuff from this last anime year, counting down to what we think were the, the best shows that we watched from 2017. And going through this year, it was actually surprising, um, how hard I felt it was to kind of, like, cut down on some of this. There ended up being... A lot more like really good stuff than I initially remembered when I was putting together this list. <laughs> I had a hard time coming up with entries just because uh, there were a lot of anime that I watched that I enjoyed but wouldn't necessarily call them good anime. <laughs> yeah, there. You know, you're right. There were a few of those from this year. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it. There's a lot to talk about with some of these uh, some of these entries. So, let's get right to it. Let's, uh, you know, we're not going to do any kind of news or stuff. We'll save that for for later. And let's jump right into uh, our awards, and then we'll do some stuff afterwards. And so, as always, we're starting off with sort of the unofficial official awards. Things that, like, maybe we don't think we can make a full list of, or maybe we couldn't judge quite the same as other things. Maybe a little more suggested. Just things we want to talk about. And the first one I want to talk about is something pretty exclusive to this year because it is uh, anime-adjacent animals. Mostly because we are here to talk about and pay tribute to um, everyone's favorite anime mascot, Grapecoon, the penguin. Hooray for Grapecoon. Rest in peace, Grapecoon. Grapecoon, as soon as he entered our lives, he left. This poor, humble penguin who fell in love with a <laughs> Uh, a cardboard cutout of an anime character, <laughs> and was allowed to uh, was allowed even after the the promotion for Kimono Friends that put the the cutout there was allowed to uh, to keep it in his habitat and uh, live next to it right up until his death. He's so iconic that he it has a Wikipedia page dedicated to him, uh, which is pretty cool with enough. Uh, <laughs> With enough uh, references to not be considered a stub, so that's how you know Grape Coon is a, is a real serious kind of character <laughs> in the world these days. He has lots of fan art. Yeah, he has lots of fan art. <laughs> it's it's almost impressive. Lot <laughs> There was a whole shrine set up to him by fans at the zoo that he was at when he died. <laughs> it's just... It's... It's wild, the sort of things that go viral sometimes. And this one's just like, you know, it's kind of a beautiful story. You know, it, this this humble penguin uh, got left for a younger penguin. And so in his old age, turned to the only thing that we can truly trust in these days. And that's anime. And truly, an otaku icon we can all look up to. Exactly. The most pure fave anyone could have. <laughs> and so we pay our respects to Grape Coon. And also, this is one I discovered later. This maybe not like anime adjacent pr in particular, but still very important. 
is uh, Mara, the cosplay cat, uh, which is this uh, this person set up an Instagram where uh, every time they do dinner, they will dress up their cat as if they were making that particular meal. So like, looks like a sushi chef if uh, if they're making sushi or you know is dressed as like an Italian chef if they got like uh, like a salad or something together, and it's very good. If you haven't looked up Mara the Cosplay Cat, it's a very good cat who deals with so much, I assume, every day being dressed up in these absurd outfits. <laughs> Mara's owner made, uh, like, a fake sort of, like, twine, puffy European wig for when they made sandwiches. Like, it's a, it's a real dedication to art on the part of Mara's owner and uh, supreme patience on the part of Mara the Cosplay Cat. What a pure and wholesome meme. Ugh. Just, ugh. Animals are good. They're, they're just so great. And pictures of them are great. And I'm glad we can have a- animals that go viral. Yeah. Animals that aren't grumpy cat. <laughs> right. I mean, not- Look, we can't blame grumpy cat for that. We, <laughs> we blame everything around it. Look, grumpy cat's not the person who asked to get a grumpy cat movie. Ah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you forgot about the Christmas movie. That classic Grumpy Cat's worst Christmas ever. Oh, where's the anime? But getting into proper um, anime content. Uh, just something to sort of like bounce off of is best cast. I think that's something that's maybe a little harder to quantify uh, against all of these different genres and stuff. Because, you know, casts mean so many different things depending on the genre and, you know, what what their intention is. So just, like, what are some of the, like, full casts of characters that really stood out to you, like, as a unit? You know, they played against each other really well. Um, I I honestly thought you meant voice cast, but uh, this works out a lot better. Yeah, no, I, look, I can only barely now recognize when certain voice actors are playing different roles. I can't ask that. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it's probably uh, interviews with Monster Girls is one of them where all the cast like really gels together in a really nice way. Same with same thing with uh, Sakura Quest. Yeah, you know, and uh, Sakura Quest in particular, it's sort of like you know you're you're given these five characters who sort of initially maybe seem like they couldn't be more different and sort of like. Or like antagonistic to each other, but are definitely like cold to each other. And sort of as you learn to understand them, they become more of a well-defined unit, and you understand that sort of like they all have similar but distinct goals of sort of like self-reflection uh that that help them bond in a way that like, you know, by about the halfway point, once they really start to figure the whole dynamic out, it really it really starts to to gel really well, the whole cast. Yeah, I, I really liked enjoying seeing all of their uh, their character arcs progress and all of their little interactions with each other, and I, I definitely mentioned this back when we talked about Sakura Quest before, but it's a really good character-driven show. Also, uh, I've always forgot about March Comes in Like a Lion, which also has a really fantastic cast of characters. And such a huge cast, too. That's the thing about March Comes in Like a Lion, is somehow it has such a a massive cast that it's able to balance pretty well. Yeah, and I'm glad, like, the more recent episodes have been delving into characters that aren't 
Ray, and we even saw this way back in season one where the final arc dealt with his sort of mentor Shimada. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cases where it'll sort of steal focus away from Ray to, to talk about another set of characters and like focus on someone else. And that we we've talked about it a little before. It's a very bold choice, but shows a confidence in the rest of the cast outside of sort of the main one or like, you know, even the main four, if you want to spread it out to the the sisters that, you know, it's, it shows that they have a real confidence in the characters that they're writing and the stories that they're telling with this series. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree with that. And I've, I've enjoyed watching all of these characters grow and mature over the course of these 30 some episodes that we've had so far. Yeah, and sort of in the same way, we have like Little Witch Academia, which has a really great cast of just like a huge cast. And some of them are like extremely bit parts, but the things they do within the the series still like hold weight and they still like make them feel distinct. Like, you know, Hannah and Barbara are basically just the mooks for Diana, but like you still get this idea of personality behind them. You know, they're still doing something. They still have, like, a spot in the story. It's not like you could just replace them with other characters from the series and call it a day. Yeah, uh, I think one thing that I don't think we talked about back when um, back when we were talking about this in our review was that I really like how not, like, all the characters aren't specifically Japanese. Like, this is literally a school of witches from around the world, and there's a lot of nationalities represented that you wouldn't think would be represented in an anime like this. Right, totally. Um, you know, and Sometimes the the names are sort of like goofy um to to make that point like Constance's has like five names kind of thing but like you still do get this idea from the way they draw the skin tones and stuff and like just the general character designs that they are trying to do sort of like this this you know multinational multicultural cast in a way that not a lot of of series do yeah for sure and it's something i I'm really fond about about the series. Yeah, that's, it's something really nice because you look at you know it's it's most close um, Western representative like Harry Potter, and that is you know by by the way they built it, it's an entirely um, white cast, is entirely like British European cast, and so something like this where even though it is a bit part, we have um, what is it, Wangari, the African American, the announcer, yeah, the announcer. You know, it's it's a it's a full breadth of different kind of things and like more or less like have sort of like realistic features like, you know, the different colored hair, the different skin tones, things like that. Yeah. Plus, you have the the greatest representation with Chumley uh, from Pawn Stars in the, the series. I almost thought you were about to say Chumley from Yu-Gi-Oh! GX and was very confused. No, the other one. No, the other one. <laughs> And I, I don't remember if we talked about this, but something cute. Uh, the, that store clerk who is based off of Chum Lee from Pawn Stars, uh, the, the Japanese dub voice for him in Pawn Stars voices the character. Yeah, that's such a nice touch. <laughs> what a, what a cute touch. Great. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's, that's just some of the, like, bigger cast that we can think of. You know, Princess Principal has a pretty good, um, group of characters uh, that, you know, come to understand each other over the course. There there are plenty of examples, I think, from this year specifically, where, like, it's not just one character who's holding up the series. It's 
It's the fact that it's an ensemble, you know, makes the show what it is. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's nice that we got all these really nice groups of characters together. Yeah, because you could definitely see, you know, um, like certain shonen shows, it's like the, basically they write all of the, the side characters more or less as like filler after they've had their arc. But there have been a lot of good shows, I think, this year that just like really take advantage of the fact that they have a cast and, you know, try to make them all seem equally important. You know, I bring up the shonen example, but something like My Hero Academia seems to do that pretty well, where the focus might still be on Deku. But everyone else still feels like they have more weight than just the the one time that they get the spotlight. Yeah, I think that's something Horikoshi has mentioned on multiple occasions, is that he's, is that he's trying to give a little bit of spotlight to everyone in the class. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it works well, especially with sort of, like, Deku's more immediate rivals, like, um, like Bakugo. You know, he, he gets plenty of focus as a rival that's not just, like, evil, I guess. You know, he's not just antagonistic. And then we have, like, Shoto or Todoroki, who's gone through, like, just such a huge um, arc, especially with the second season from this year, you know, such that it, it, it makes him more than one note. A lot of these arcs are helping to flesh out these characters in a way that when you first saw them, maybe you thought, oh, well, it's just going to be like this, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's something, like, I've been reading ahead in the manga and we just got like a spotlight on a character that we didn't expect and a lot of people are thinking oh no he's the traitor that was mentioned but no it turned out to be like a, a really charming little bit where uh you know we learn more about this character and how you know he became a good friend to deku yeah that's great it's a great little thing and i'm, I'm glad that this this year seems to be like full of good ensemble casts even on, like, the more dramatic side, like, things like, you know, Just Because, I think that just as a whole, those characters work well in a group. And then one other thing, just, like, we're going to talk about, like, you know, best opening, best ending and stuff, but, like, you know, those those are sort of, like, built to draw you in. Uh, what I wanted to do, just real quick, is, like, run down maybe some series where, like, the actual soundtrack, like, draws you in. Like, not just the things that are built to do it, but, like, the music as a whole is something that you're like, oh, this is a really great soundtrack, this really adds to the to the mood in a way that maybe you wouldn't, like, expect from the outside. I feel like most of the, uh, the OPs that I have on my list, uh, those shows actually have really good soundtracks to them. Uh, Akka, Princess Principal, March Comes in Like a Lion, and Sakura Quest all have pretty good soundtracks. And there's a lot of, like, jazz in there. Like, you you started out with Akka, and you started out with uh, Princess Principal, both very, like, jazz-influenced sounds that they're going for, you know, very, um, kind of frantic. It, it fits the, like, espionage, like, political thriller mood. You know, huh, that's a nice coincidence that I didn't really <laughs> notice, that <laughs> j- political jazz. Yeah, it's, you know, that's that's sort of the thing. But yeah, like, um... You know, there are some soundtracks that really benefit in a way that's, like, greater than just, like, adding to the mood. You know, they they bring something else. And, like, maybe this isn't, like, a perfect example since this is just sort of his thing. But when, like, um, when you look at, like, recreators, right? When you have, like, Suwano, Suwano has a very <laughs> specific style that really fits these, like, kind of, like, tr- um, heady, sort of, like, action series, you know? Uh, Suwano has a very specific type, and I think that helps 
to to elevate the series with which he is involved. He very much definitely has a style, and it like if you listen to a thing's music and you go, oh, that's you will know if it's Suano doing the music. Right, it's very obvious. No, he writes for it was uh, like Attack on Titan. It was um, Awari no Seraph. We had Recreators. We had um, Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. Like all of them have such like a distinct mood to the story, and his like one trick is to to really amplify the the particular sort of like action mood. You know, he's he's got a real flair for the dramatic in that way. Yeah, he also did uh, Kill a Kill, Xenoblade Chronicles Cross, and Thunderbolt Fantasy. Right. Oh, man, I'd almost forgotten about some of those. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely see how, like, he's he's got that mood, but, like, it's it's still effective in all the shows he does. Like, it's not like, uh, he's doing this again like some one-note producers do. He, like, still has, like, an air of surprise to him, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then the vocals come out, and it's like, oh, Suano, you got me again. <laughs> oh, wow, it's the same person, they're just doing it again, wow, incredible. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, this is something I learned while I was uh, looking up stuff about OPs, is that uh, No Name, the the, pers- the group that did the first OP for Sakura Quest, they did the whole soundtrack, apparently. Oh, that's kind of neat, because I had noticed while looking up the openings and endings that, like, oh, they did all the openings and endings. I didn't realize they also did the soundtrack. That's actually really cool. Yeah, extremely. Like, you know, that's not super standout. It does definitely fit the mood, though, in a way that's really good. And I, it makes sense now if they're, like, sort of always sort of that, like, kind of acoustic rock sort of, like, you know, tinge. It, it makes sense that they would do the music for sort of this, like, you know, low, low you know, key. a little more quiet. Yeah, low-key sort of quiet um, series. Yeah, like, I don't remember if I mentioned this way back when, but the show has some really good montage music. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the other one I was thinking of, uh, that I'd almost forgotten was, um, Ancient Mages Bride. We brought this up a little bit before, but Ancient Mages Bride has such a, such a, like, loud soundtrack in a way that's, like, it makes itself very much known when music is playing. Like, it, it's sort of, like, isn't quite background music, but it, you know, but it still fits behind all of the voices. Like, the the melodies are very apparent in the mixing, but they all have sort of this, this sort of, like, sense of the fantastical in the way that they're put together, and the way that they build, especially within the scenes. Yeah, I can agree with that. That might just be, like, a, a consequence of the music sounding very Celtic. Yeah, it definitely... It definitely has sort of like a a different vibe than a lot of soundtracks do. Definitely, yeah, I could see where like the Celtic influence is. And like, especially in some of the like later episodes of of like the first core, we have like the way that the the insert songs are used. You know, they 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 build music into it and like you know, that's something that you kind of get when you read like a manga of it, but when it comes to the anime, they they really have to like flesh that out. And I think they do a good job of that and sort of like integrating that and making it sort of like a focal point for that scene. Yeah, it's it's a very well-sounding show. Yeah. And I think the last one I want to talk about is uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront and Beyond because, and this is true of the first one, it's 
you know, it takes place in sort of modern New York. It's a lot about sort of like, you know, investigation and action. And what it does really well with that is it is it blends sort of these styles that you may expect from something so Western influenced. It's very jazz heavy. It's very like hip hop heavy. Lots of vocals in the songs to kind of uh, do that together. And like Blood Blockade Battlefront has such like a distinct aesthetic to it that the the uh, the music for it just really evokes the mood that you'd expect from it. It's, it's a really great uh, soundtrack, just like from start to finish. So with that, I think it's time that we get into our lists proper. And we're starting off with the best opening. And when I think about best opening, I'm thinking not only the song, because, you know, it's supposed to draw you in, but also like the, the visuals, you know, this is the chance. This is it's almost like an advertisement, you know, when they do the opening. It's it's supposed to get you drawn into the idea of the show. It's supposed to be aesthetically pleasing and kind of like, you know, just give you a taste of what to expect. So, Zane, why don't you start with your list of five and just kind of talk about what you think about each of these songs and their accompanying uh, visuals. All right. I'll start from uh, from the bottom then. Uh one of the ones that I liked a lot was uh, Morning Glory by No Name, which is uh, Sakura Quest's first OP. Uh, I like that one because it's, like, really... It definitely, like, fits this the vibe that the show is going for of just working in this sleepy town. It's got a nice, catchy beat to it, I suppose, but it, it shows, like, the whole cast working together as a team, which is basically what the show's themes come come to be and, and such. Yeah, it gives a little, like feeling for all of the attitudes like you know you you open up uh the the opening and like the first thing is like first of all like this really well um synchronized sort of thing with the the opening guitar riff as the as the name of the show pops up kind of like syllable by syllable you you analyze these things a lot more than me i can tell you that like i think about it a lot but like um but then you also see like you go you actually watch the thing and you know like it, it gives a little bit of character, because, like, Yoshino, it first is shown, like, you know, sleeping in through our alarm and, you know, rushing to work as everyone's already there. Kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of, of character there, too, where it's not just like, oh, you know, here's this good song. It's like, and, you know, they're not just working together. It's still giving you this idea of how each of them fits into their their roles, you know? Yeah, for sure. It It does a really good job of giving you, like, a brief peek at the characters before you've even met them if you like back in episode one yeah and i think the just the the way that it opens with that guitar riff is like a really good it like really grabs your attention you know it doesn't like build up it like starts at its like at its peak and doesn't really like ever drop which is a which is a good effect for you know something that's like a little more low-key you try to like you know you try to hit the viewer right at the start of the the series you know yeah, yeah, that's fair. And then I've got uh, Flagwo Tatero by Yuki from March Comes In Like a Lion, second season's first OP. Uh, I like this one because it something that I personally have noticed is that the uh, the openings have gotten more and more uh, upbeat as the series has gone on, sort of to reflect uh, Ray's personal growth. But also it shows Ray trying to get closer to uh, the Kawamoto's. Because he thinks that, like, 
he's starting to finally come around to like he's found a, a place to belong with them and he's realized it and accepted it and he he realizes he's uh he maybe found a new family i suppose but it it feels like the openings have involved more people in them since the first one and it's also brighter in tone and colors and yeah it's got a lot more color tones to it you know it's it's like playing with sort of like you know just the 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 general look like you know you look at like um the first opening it's a lot more kind of like you know darker colors it's a little more washed out but this one's just like so vibrant there are tons of effects like it really shows a progression of character even as it gets to sort of like these like darker moments within the opening itself as it's raining and stuff you know the focus is on sort of like this this like bright sort of like springtime environment yeah and how ray is trying to get to there yeah th- a lot of a lot of screen tones just all over this whole thing like not only like just changing the colors of the whole thing but it it really plays into sort of like the non-conventional style that uh that Akiyuki Shinbo uh does so well yeah yeah i i like it a lot yeah and it's it's a good song too like you know it's it's just a it's a really chipper it's it's not like too happy to fit sort of like the the mood of the show but it still has this this optimism to it yeah which is a again a stark contrast with the first opening <laughs> oh for sure yeah and then uh, I've also got Shadow and Truth by One Three Notes from Aka 13. And I like mm-hmm. that one because it's got, it's a really good jazzy sort of song, but it's also got really strong visuals to it. I, I kind of like how they use all these single color sort of scenes to transition into each other and the way they do it is, I think it's just really cool, but. I don't know. I I like the song a lot. There's I don't personally have that much to say about it. I I do not do as much in-depth analysis of OPs as you do. It's very the one thing I I thought about when I first heard it is like this is very lotus juice, right? Like the way it does like sort of the jazz background's got um kind of a deep voiced like, you know, rapping thing going on top of it. I I was convinced for the first couple episodes before I looked it up like, "Oh, this is just lotus juice." <laughs> Because it totally has that vibe of sort of like a persona song, right? Like that's that that was the first vibe I got from this. Oh yeah, totally. This is just like what you would hear like in like a battle. Okay, yeah, I can totally see this being like the OP or a battle theme for Persona Five. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I, I appreciate that, but it's also like it does sort of um, it's it's kind of like you see in like American procedurals, sort of like the the color tones of like groups of characters so that you sort of like get the idea of alliances and sort of like teasing at the the roles that they all play it's a very it's a very cool evocative opening and it it matches sort of like the very unique styling of the series as a whole right like you know Akka isn't your typical political thriller and this definitely like lets you know what you're in for but that you know it's not all that it seems it is the chillest political thriller. <laughs> it is. It's so chill, they almost forget to have a climax. But, you know, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm going to go with uh, my number one right now, since my only other pick is your number one. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's Don't by Nakamura Emmy from Laughing Salesman New, a show I watched one episode of, and the only thing I really liked about it was the OP, which is really, really good. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's a shame hearing about the series, right? Like, um, because it seems like it it was kind of a letdown from multiple different angles. But like that opening is very, um, it's very cool, right? Like in sort of the same way as we talked about a lot of other ones, it's like kind of this, um almost like low-key sort of thing, but the visuals really prop it up, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very uh, surreal, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it gave me the impression that the show would be a bit more surreal than it was. I, I thought that, like, the titular salesman was going to be, like, this weird little imp compared to everybody <laughs> else, but no, he's just incredibly large. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, <laughs> instead he's a very large imp. Yeah, but uh, but I I really like how catchy and easy to. It's definitely a song that can get in your head once you start listening to it, and it's easy to like just chill out and snap a whole bunch to. Yeah, like it's not super bombastic, but it has like a rhythm to it that it catches you in for sure. Yeah, it, it just plods along, and it's it's very it's you know it's it's got a good sound to it. Yeah, I it, it's definitely. <laughs> My favorite for being an OP of a show that I didn't actually watch. It, it stuck with me for a while, and I like <laughs> it a lot. Yeah, I think that was, like, the big thing when uh, it first came out. Everyone was just like, have you seen this OP? It's, like, really something else, you know? Yeah. It's really something different. Yeah. So then, my other pick is uh, year number one, which is The Other Side of the Wall by Void Chords featuring Maru from Princess Principal. It's a really good opening. Yeah, it's, it's probably my number two. See, I, like... Going into Princess Principle, you have, like, no idea what to expect. Because Princess Principle, like, on the surface, looks very much just, like, a Moe show where, like, the, the, the trick is that they are in decidedly non-Moe situations. But it's it's something bigger than that, you know? Like, and the, the opening is, like, the first clear indicator of that. It's not trying to ride on sort of this, like, cuteness factor. The cuteness is almost, like the thing that breaks it against sort of, like, being a much darker story. I think that's true of the show itself, too. Right, like, that's sort of the idea, is that, like, it maybe tricks the people who are in it for the cute girls into, like, watching something that's a little more mature than you might expect just from looking at the characters. And the opening does that really well, not only for being sort of, like, this really frantic, almost, like, chaotic sort of, like, jazz song. But also just, like, the the way that it um, introduces the characters, the way that it, like, shows all of the sort of, like, crazy, like, steampunk aesthetic of it. That's not, like, goofy in the same way that we maybe give steampunk credit for. Like, it feels a lot more integrated into the world. And not just, like, and not just, you know, taping gears on little girls or whatever. Yeah, I was gonna say, it doesn't feel like a, uh, it was put in there to be a gimmick. It feels like it's a serious part of the story's uh, backstory. Right, you know, it, it plays with sort of, like, alternate history sort of stuff, bringing legitimacy to the series in a way that maybe you didn't expect going in. And yeah. that's the, the big thing about that. Yeah, it's very, very loud compared to what you'd expect a show with those character designs to be. <laughs> For sure. And, like, even after the PV, it's like, I'm not really sure. Like, it definitely is a bunch of, like, girls, like, gunning down a dude. But, like, you don't really know what to expect before that. But this, I think this is really, like, the part where it's like, oh, Princess Principal's cool. 
kind of thing. <laughs> and so then my list, uh, like you, I have Shadow and Truth by 1-3 Notes from Akka 13, and I have The Other Side of the Wall from Princess Principle. So then the other ones I have on here, I have Deal with the Devil by Tia, which is from Kakegurui. And I put this on here because, like, this opening is sort of the ideal in terms of, like, getting you to understand what this show is about. <laughs> like, yes. E- everything about Kakegurui is laid out in this opening, and in a very, like, stylish way that's sort of, like, chaotic, again, very much like the series but it's like it's it's jazzy it's got sort of like a sense of like style to that but also uh it lets you know that it is very erotic <laughs> it's very erotic or at least plays with eroticism right like it definitely plays a lot with sexuality and uh in a way that you know is it <laughs> it's not the classiest so that's sort of like the part where it breaks from sort of like the the jazz opening and sort of like the the visuals and everything that gives it sort of this like artsy look but it definitely like prepares you for what's coming up in a lot of ways you know almost all of the ways right but like it's it's definitely one of those ones where it's just like oh this is just the whole show yeah you like you understand the show now by watching the opening like basically everything's been laid out for you I mean, I can agree with that, because it has a lot of foreshadowing for all the things that are to come in the whole first season, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, it does it in a way that's, like, not overt, which is always good. Like, you know, you don't know you're being spoiled, you know, it's it's proper foreshadowing. And, yeah, so I just think that that, like, that opening, maybe of the entire year, is the most, like, in-your-face, like, this is exactly what you're going to get from this show. (laughs) Um, then I also have on here, uh, Shout by, uh, Suwano Hiroyuki, um, from Recreators. And again, we talked about it, uh, Suwano's music, very, uh, of a style. It's very aggressive, sort of like electronic rock sort of thing that he's going for. But in, in Recreators, it works really well. And this particular opening, I think, over the first one, is just, like, a really strong contender for, like, really showing how much, like, his music fits the, uh, fits the style of the show. I can see that. It definitely fits itself well in with what the show is and how it turned out. And sort of, like, not having to just introduce the characters at this point, like the the first OP did, like, it focuses a lot more on sort of, like, the interaction between them, sort of these fights and stuff. And there's this really great moment where um, the 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 melody of the song as the vocals hit is the same rhythm as uh, one of the characters shooting a gun is in the opening. And I, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is super cool. This is 100% my jam. <laughs> that they've synchronized like these gunshots to the uh, to the song. I thought that was cool. <laughs> And then the last one on my list is Ugaku Ugaku by the the cast of Girls Last Tour. And this one's just on here because it's sort of like, like the first half of it is sort of like a little melancholic, not like super um, like minor key or like super sad or anything, but like kind of has like, you know, a a distant sort of vibe to it um, from the cast as sort of like they go about their day sort of just 
traveling along and then in the as the uh like the chorus hits it's a much like more upbeat song it's sort of like you know it's about still the how much fun they have together as they sort of like do these like silly synchronized dance moves um you know they do the moonwalk at one point they they do like a a synchronized dab like it's it's just a it's a very goofy sort of thing that they uh they build into sort of like showing that you know even in this um even in sort of like the uh the the post apocalypse that they're in they're they're like finding ways to have fun and be with each other it's like it's it's very cute in a way that I really appreciate but um so I know you said it earlier but let's talk about uh let's let's recap what our favorite ops were and you start all right yeah uh like i said earlier mine is don't buy nakamurami from laughing salesman new and it's pretty cool and catchy and it's the only part of the show that you should ever have to watch (laughs) and mine is the other side of the wall by void chords featuring maru from princess principal just for really i think setting up expectations for the show and like breaking sort of the the impressions you might have from the the previews or just like the the key art. And then next up, we have the best ending. And, you know, endings as a whole like they aren't always the most exciting part of the show. You're it's kind of the, you know, it's kind of the come down after the action of the the show proper. But, you know, we're always looking for things that are like you know, kind of step above that a little bit more, maybe have a little more, um, you know, kind of love put into it than just something that's kind of a, you know, like a, a, a way to, to bring the viewer down after so much action. And the, the first one I want to bring up is one I definitely talked about before when talking about the show, but uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront and Beyond's uh, Step Up Love by Daoko and Yasuyuki is like... Not okay. So first off, like the the way it's integrated into the show as well, because like it started, it sort of like starts with like just a little bit of um like isolated guitar, sort of like so that it can flow from the end of the episode into the ending animation. Well, and I think that's really cool. Is sort of like you know making it so it's not quite so clear cut. You know, kind of where the show ends, but then more than that, like it's it's just such a frantic almost mess of a of an ending where it's sort of like all these different like kind of chibi cutouts of characters from the series who are sort of like doing this really like limited animation thing kind of going from like you know one to two frames over and over and like just it's very goofy sort of like abstraction of the show and its characters as they like you know pop through this sort of like I think I said it before, a little bit of, like, a vaporwave, a little sort of, like, a frantic sort of, like, neon, almost hellscape of just, like, you know, um, over-processing information. It's a very, like, evocative and very, it, like, very much fits the sort of, um, the the frantic mood that uh, the series can have. And so I, I'm really into, like, everything that that ending does. It's just such a great culmination of what uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront's trying to do. Then we have uh, Hoshi wo Todoreba uh, by Yuiko Ohara from Little Witch Academia. And I think this is not just true of this particular ending for uh, for Little Witch Academia, but I, I really appreciate 
um, the, just the like general aesthetics of the ending for this show. Um, because they, it's sort of like, kind of like lineless art in a way that's very cool, sort of like a lot more abstract shapes and colors sort of like blending and flowing together in a way that's very cool. And this one in particular sort of like leads into just some very cute stills of the characters interacting together, doing things that they don't do in the show, like road trip sort of stuff, like just very cute vignettes, it seems like, that they're coming from fun ideas that the uh, the director had and just putting those all together. It's a very, it's very cute and it definitely fits the series, I think, because like, as frantic as, like, the show actually is, it's still a very, like, sentimental, sort of heartwarming show. Yeah, okay, I, I didn't realize that was the ending that you were, uh, you were talking about, but yeah, that one's really good. Yeah. It has a lot of style to it. Uh, then the next one is uh, Hey Kosen by Sayuri from Scum's Wish. And so, like, uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it because the, the, that season was sort of like when... All these changes were happening to Coco Disaster, but Scum's Wish, it's a very messy um, show about sort of like uh, really, I guess, problematic relationships and sort of like the way that these characters learn to understand that like, you know, the things that, the, the things that they pine for, they can't have because they're not like healthy and they're not good for them. And the the ending for this particular show does it in like, a very unsubtle way, which is sort of the whole show. But what I really appreciate about it is it's sort of like, um, the aesthetic is sort of like these, um, like, uh, you know how in like certain art classes, you'll like do the paper cutouts and they'll end up as like a, a snowflake at the end and sort of that, you know, you just make one of those. It's kind of like that aesthetic, but it's all of the different characters from the show and sort of like using this, um, the sort of like reflective style. They they have, like, the characters sort of, like, uh, rotating around the circle and sort of, like, creating these different, like, couples between them in sort of the same way that the the show has that. It's a very, it plays into sort of, like, the, the themes of sexuality and stuff as it sort of, like, goes between these different uh, couples. It's, it's a very cool sort of, like, distillation of, I think, the topics that the show goes through. And then... Next, we have uh, Date Atashi no Hero by Lisa from My Hero Academia second season. And, like, I just like this one because, like, it, it's based on, like, a, a sketch that the, the author did originally, right? Like a, like a, like kind of a goofy one-off. Nah, it was, uh, the, it, this was art used for, uh, one of the popularity polls. Oh, interesting. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's cool that it's sort of, like, recasts the characters in sort of like a, a fantasy setting and plays around with that. And like, it, it just feels like there's a lot of love put into like their designs and the way that they would be placed in a fantasy world. It's, it's very cute. And it reminds me a lot of how when like Naruto was ending, Kishimoto would just like draw like them as the, the Naruto cast is like cowboys and stuff, just like, for you know, for no reason or like, in a fancy world, but this is like, this really gets to play with that. It, you know, it, t- it tells a full story. It really gets the whole cast involved in a minute and a half in a way that's like very cute and very like cool. I think there are two things I really like about this. One of them is that this is all framed as a school play that they're putting on, 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and the other is that uh, All Might is clearly cosplaying as Guts from Berserk. <laughs> right, but he's like, I think he's just wearing his regular outfit and he just happens to have a buster sword. Yeah, it rules. <laughs> Which is cool, and um, uh, Racerhead's there too, and he's also not dressed up at all, it's cool. Well, of course not. He's the uh, he's put he's supervising the play. Right. It's charming in a way that like is just really good for the series. I think I like it a lot. Yeah, I I do too. It's really cute. And then the last one on this list is uh, "More One Night" by the cast of Girls Last Tour, getting it on both of the lists. Just because I think like it's Girls Last Tour feels like such a labor of love, and in particular with the ending where. The entire thing is animated by the manga author. So it's, it's like very cute. It's like very messy, sort of like, you know, we brought, I brought it up before, but like when, um, when one did, uh, the storyboarding for that, that little short at the end of Mob Psycho 100 season one, it, it's, it has that same sort of charm where it's like, it's not as cleaned up. It's definitely like a lot more messy, almost like, you know, they're, they're drawing each individual frame on a different piece of paper and sort of like, almost flipbook animating it. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of a flipbook. Yeah, and it's, it's just a very cute, cool sort of thing. And, like, it's, it's just a... I, I really appreciate it for that, for the fact that it's just, like, the author put in the work to sort of, like, animate this minute-and-a-half-long sort of thing, even with repeating animation. It's very cool. And so I, I really like that particular aesthetic that it's going for. So Zane, what is your top five for endings? All right. So since uh, I am completely shameless about my love for March Comes In Like a Lion, uh, <laughs> both, of, both of its EDs are on here because both of them have <laughs> an absurd amount of style to them. Uh, <laughs> That's cool as hell. Yeah, they're hey, all- it's fine. No, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> no, I, I put them on there for a good reason. They both have, they are both animated in, Okay, I should mention what they are. Uh, the first one is Orion by Kenichi Yonezu. It's the second ending of the first season. And the other one is Kafune by Brian the Sun, which is the first ending of the second season. And I really like both of these endings because they're both really good, catchy songs that are animated in a completely different way compared to the rest of the show. And I think that's really cool and stylish. And, uh, I think both of them sort of fit the weird, crazy mindscape that Ray tends to have sometimes that that he can get into, and <laughs> they're both really good. Yeah, and I think one cool thing is, like, we, t- we talked before about how, like, the openings sort of change with the seasons and sort of, like, show this more optimistic vibe, and, like, what's cool about the, the, endings, f- the endings in particular is that they feel like contrasts to the openings, where, like, you know, in, in the, with the first set, both by Bump of Chicken, it was like, you know, both of them are very heavy in sort of, like, the water imagery and, like, you know, the drowning sort of stuff. And, like, you can see sort of, like, the parallels between the openings and endings here in a very cool way. Yeah, I I am I love this show so much. Ah, but It's, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got uh, A Page of My Story, which is by uh, the main cast of Princess Principal. They sing it, and... I think this ending is just really, really cute because it looks like a bunch of paper cutouts of all the characters as they go for a nice, pleasant drive and nothing bad happens, which is a nice contrast to how uh, (laughs) dramatic the actual show can get. Yeah, 
it's got like a cool paper craft aesthetic to it, right? Like, they're all like little cutouts, like, you know, very uh, crudely animated kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's just very cute. It feels like sort of like an arts and crafts project in a yeah. way that's very charming. Yeah, it's also a big shock from how some of the episodes end, like how the first episode ends with and Stone Cold killing someone, and then you get this. This really cute <laughs> right. little song, and it's really great. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely, it's it's got a cool, like, collage sort of, like, you know, look to it. Like, I said papercraft earlier, but even, like, the backgrounds, it's sort of, like, this, you know, like, this, cir- this like, collage or, like, this, you know, scrapbook. this circle of different... Yeah, it's, it's very scrapbook. Yeah, that's probably the best way to do it. It's good. It's an aesthetic that a lot of shows don't play with, and I think that's a real benefit to it. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. All right, and then my last one is Hajimari no Surushi by Chima from Grimoire of Zero. And like the last one, I think this ending is just really cute. It's just uh, our big beefy tiger man and our uh, main witch just taking a nap. And it's just really cutesy and charming and a nice way to cool down after uh, this fantasy drama. And it's, I didn't notice this until we started recording, but... It's by the same uh, group that did the ending for uh, Flip Flappers, and I really like that ending a lot, too. Oh, cool. That's cool. That's a good ending. Yeah, it's Chima. They did the same stuff. It's pretty cool. Cool. And so, uh, my number one for this list is Step Up Love from Blood Blockade Battlefront and Beyond, just for uh, not being satisfied with the show overloading me with sort of, like, a- an aesthetic and, like, you know, action it it feels like it needs to continue that into the last minute and a half of every episode, and I really appreciate that. And mine is Orion by Kanishi Yonezu from March Comes in Like a Lion Season 1, and I think it's just got a really cool visual style to it, and it's a really nice, catchy song that's easy to snap to. Yeah, it's kind of, it's almost, like, built for snapping, right? It's kind of got the, the like, rhythm for that. Yeah. And so, next up, we have... Our biggest surprises, and for the most part, we're sticking this to, like, positive surprises, you know, things that was, like, we maybe didn't expect going into the show for it to be this particular way, but what we came out of it with is something that was a genuine surprise, and we appreciated what we got from it. And so, why don't you start off with your list? (laughs) All right. So, uh, obviously, part of my list is, uh, anime guitaries. <laughs> <laughs> right? Of course. No, I mean, of course. Uh, because of what the fuck is this show? Why am I still watching it week to week? <laughs> why, why is this bland slice of life show so bizarrely <laughs> addicting to me? And then all hell breaks loose in, like, the final three or four episodes, and it just blew me out of the water. <laughs> with how crazy and meta it got, and it was a fun ride. But in a more serious, uh, somewhat more serious tone, I've got a Grimoire of Zero on here, which is, which honestly came out of nowhere for me. Like, I just kind of watched it because it was a a neat little fantasy show, and I got rewarded by a surprisingly well-written, charming fantasy show. It's got, it's just a, a nice fantasy anime done really well. It's two leads are really uh, charming. Uh, I like Zero and our Beast Man. And it's just a nice little adventure that they have about 
it's just them trying to go around trying to get back this grimoire that te- that taught people magic that kind of fucked everything up for this uh, this small kingdom. And I definitely like how it's a lot smaller scale than most fantasy. That it's just limited to this just like one country or one province. <laughs> and then I've got a uh, Vatican Miracle Examiner. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, it's what a surprise that yes. it exists. Yes, it happened. <laughs> No one expected Vatican Miracle Examiner to be completely balls-to-the-wall crazy, and then it continued to surprise me by not being as completely crazy as it was in the first four episodes. It just really comes out swinging once you get to- once you finally get to sort of, like, the plot, it's crazy. It's, like, insane. (laughs) Like, it's definitely, like- uh, I probably made this comparison before. It's very much like the Da Vinci Code, where it's like, you know, it seems like it's sort of like just a normal thriller. And then sort of like, it it takes all of these super tangential connections and things that are just like not true to history at all. And like puts them together into sort of this unpredictable mystery. And like, un, you know, and it just, in the first arc, they find that secret Nazis have been keeping this church around and preserving Hitler's body cryogenically so that they can take his sperm and drug a woman into thinking that she's had an immaculate birth so they they can bring about the next Hitler. (laughs) And then throw acid in Kid Hitler's face to kill him! They, like, (laughs) pretend it's like holy water. It's like, you know, it's a big priest thing. And then, you know, they go, oh, How'd you do that? Oh, I threw acid in this man's face. <laughs> it's such a shame that the show just can't live up to that first arc in terms of utter insanity. Oh my god! And like, oh, it. You know, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, you know, it's it's a light novel thing, so I don't expect it to be too deep or anything. But it like really shows how it is like it is entertainment for like teens. In that it is just, like, it is using sort of this pseudo-exoticism of, like, Western religion, and, like, perverting it, and just, like, totally going balls deep into these, like, insane conspiracy things. It's such an absolute wild ride that, like, it's hard to believe that this got greenlit. Please watch the first four episodes of this show because it's oh the God. best. Just get drunk, watch these four episodes with your friends, and just have a good night laughing about how completely stupid this show is. God, ugh. And then we've got uh, Sakura Quest, which is a, a much more of a pleasant surprise. I I went. <laughs> <laughs> I I wasn't sure quite what to expect from this show. I thought it was going to be about um like how difficult it is living in a rural community that's dwindling in population. And while it is about that, it's much more of a really good character drama about how hard it is to find a place for yourself in when you're in, like, your 20s or some such. And I found it really re- relatable, and it was just a nice, pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, and it deals with a lot of, like, theming that doesn't always get touched on and sort of, like, you, you, yeah, you talked about, like, you know, finding the place in the world, but also, like, the way that sometimes, like, your life doesn't go in the direction you expect it to, or you, like, fall out of love with the thing that you've put your entire life's 
work into, you know? It's so much about sort of, like, understanding when to quit, you know, and, like, maybe take a break from something because you, you know, you've lost the, you've lost the spark that it gave you before, but not to, like, totally throw it away, too, you know? Just to try and take it into a different direction. Right, it's, 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 uh, it's very much about sort of, like, compromise with yourself and understanding that when you need to take a break from something, it's not that you're, like, a disappointment or that you failed. It just means that, you know, you need to do something else for now. It's, it's a very relatable and human story in, in a really good way for, like, an audience that I don't think is always, like, written to in this sort of way. Where it's like, it's okay to fail sometimes. Yeah, that, that's a very helpful message at this point in time. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a really human story that I really wound up liking a lot. And then the last one is, uh, Kato, the right answer, which is, um, <laughs> I almost forgot to include this, but then I looked at uh, the anime list and I was like, oh, right, I watched this. This has to be on here. Because, like, it's kind of like a reverse Vatican miracle examiner, right? Like, the idea is sort of like, it, it gives you like a very grounded sort of like fantastical premise early on. And then right at the end, it just, like, basically just drops all of that in service of this, like, nonsense, insane plot that just had, like, no setup or anything and just, like, expects you to roll with it. Yep, it's great. It, it, I know what it reminds me of, and it reminds me of anime guitaries, except <laughs> the swerve is significantly harder. <laughs> right, you break your neck on that sort of swerve. Yeah, I, I I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's a show that surprises you in the completely absurd direction it takes, like, right at the end, as it was sort of grounded in reality when you're dealing with a fourth-dimensional time cube with an alien inside. Yeah, and it's definitely one of those where, like, you will have no idea how you feel about it, I think, until you get to that point in the story, because, like, for some people it's like, oh, this is awesome in a really stupid way, and some people are like, oh, this is really stupid and, like, really undermines what I saw as, like, artistic before. So, like, your mileage is gonna vary on this, but, like, everything I've heard about Kato is just, like, an absolute, like, adventure in, like, how how to really, like, lose control at the end of your story. <laughs> yep. Yep, I can talk about that more later. But, yeah, Kato is a wild ride. Ugh, wow. Truly remarkable. Uh, so my list, uh, first, I just wanted to talk about sort of like a um, honorable mention, more or less, because I don't think either of us watched it, but it's something that I feel like needs to be brought up in the context of 2017 anime, and that's Kimono Friends, just for like being like this odd, you know, this cultural touchstone that you would have never expected from what it was, right? Like, it's a dead mobile game that got an anime like, by a team that doesn't really seem that great, right? Like, they're very clearly not, like, great at 3D animation or anything. And not only that, but these are, like, very long episodes for this all very limited sort of stuff, but it really captured uh, the, the anime-watching audience in just a big, big way. Yeah, it really did come out of nowhere. And, like, you know, every suddenly, you know, huge things, it, like, you know, revived the series, they got a new mobile game out of it, 
the people at Kodansha fired the team that was doing it and then decided to go with someone else, despite the fact that it was basically just that what that small team's labor of love. They decided to like commercialize it. But like it's gone through so much and it's clearly had such an impact on the industry in this very weird way that I I just I feel like has to be respected in some way. Like they found a zeitgeist and I just I don't know how and I and I don't know what exactly led us here, but it it's probably the biggest show of the year, you know? It looks like the miracle was the kimono friends all along. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, the real journey was the kimono friends we made along the way. Um, <laughs> my, uh, so my biggest surprises list. Uh, first one, um, Vatican Miracle Examiner. Like you, just like, I, I expected maybe something a little less stupid when I walked into it. And I, I walked out with a very different perception of like, pulp media. <laughs> <laughs> uh then uh this one just because it's a little, maybe a little more slight is that uh tq9 after how many uh what is it like i think six seasons with the same studio and the exact same format got an ending theme uh moving the the runtime of the episodes from two minutes to two minute 30 and the ending is uh highly controversial in the fandom because it uh <laughs> It draws all of the characters as, like, proper anime characters and not just, like, amorphous blobs of nothing. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's one of those things, it's, you know, some, some people found it hard to love, but I, I wholly embraced it. I thought it was very good. Um, so, for the rest of the, the one, uh, as we talked about before, Princess Principle, sort of like, I feel like it came out of nowhere. But, like, going into it, I'm like, oh, I don't really know if this, like, what felt like it was going to be, like, Joker game, but with, like, tiny anime girls, it was really going to, like, do it if it was going to try to lean- if it was going to try to, like, have its cake and eat it, too, with sort of, like, leaning into this cutesy stuff while also having, like, a very serious plot, like, um, uh, Gakko Garashi. And, like, I, what I came out with with Princess Principles, like, even though I wasn't, like, super hot on the way that they- they got to the ending, I feel like it needed maybe a little more time. I think that the stories it tells and, like, the aesthetic and everything going into it is, like, very well-developed in a way that I think just, like, really complements the show as a whole and, like, really cool, you know? It's it, it's a very cool show, and I don't know if I would have expected that going in, you know? It's also hard to say because the Code Geass guy was writing it. <laughs> Finally, he wrote something good since Code Geass. So, so you don't know how much it's gonna, like, you know, kind of shit the bed later. I know he did, um... He did a Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. I like that. I think he did but, Star um, Driver too. Okay. And he, unrelated, but he's doing the new Lupin series. So, like, man, he's. <laughs> what's going on with him? <laughs> uh, then uh, I have Scum's Wish on here. And uh, I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about um, After the Rain from this. this Current season. Um, Scum's Wish, on its surface, has a really bad, uh, or, like, a really, um, difficult to sell premise in that it's about two high schoolers who are in love with their teachers and sort of, like, to deal with the fact that they know that this is sort of, like, inappropriate and, like, you know, kind of, uh, it's not, uh, reconcilable between their, their crushes. They sort of, like, decide to they decide to start dating each other as just like 
a crutch for their um their uh like kind of romantic and emotional emptiness and where that could be sort of like trashy and sort of like play into really like bad stereotypes i think what it does is through you know tons and tons of relationships really dives deep into sort of the different ways that that people sort of like justify doing things to their partner that are bad and like sort of like almost like a a primer on how to spot like a an unhealthy relationship and how to like break out of it because all of these characters in a lot of ways are like very broken and like have to come to terms with the fact that the you know the people they love can't love them back or you know they expect something different out of the relationship that they can't reciprocate and so ultimately i think it's a very good show that uses sort of like a an oft used and sort of like uncomfortable premise to tell a you know a, a cautionary tale and sort of like a story about you know when relationships need to break off and you know how dangerous it can be to get into things without fully understanding the the complexity and the the nuance of of something like that is very cool and then the the last show on here is land of the lustrous just because like man what a what a year for 3d anime because like we start out and it's just it's bad right komodo friends looks bad there was kado there was kado which was which is okay but also we had like berserk second season which is Wow. Who wow. Um <laughs> but like as we got into the year more we got more shows that were more heavily focused on CG. You had things like um what is it? ID0, which was like a Netflix thing that was all 3D. We had Kato the right answer and we had um Infinity Force which was the the um Tatsunoko. Yeah, the Tatsunoko um product. But I think more than anything else, Land of the Lustrous is a real showcase for how to do 3D animation right in terms of, like, anime. You know, this may be a little different just because of the, the, the way the industries are different in the West and the East. But, you know, Land of Lustrous is just such a, it's just a powerhouse of animation and, like, really showing how far you can go when, like, with 3D stuff, it's, it's all about sort of, like, pre-prep more than anything else like getting the models put together and everything but like once you have that you're open to all of these different things that you can do that otherwise just aren't available for 2d animation you know more dynamic camera shots and like you know really following the action and like just effects that you can't really get off and like land of lustra shows that off really well by using these characters that are gemstones like these things all benefit from the fact that 3d animation like the the way that lighting works in in that compared to like having to handcraft in 2D really like changes the the way everything looks. It's just such a not only is it like a great story that like continues to play with expectations of what, you know, of what it's building to, but it's just such a it's such a standout thing in terms of production that it you know, it feels like if we're going to see anything more from like big three animation we're going to start seeing it from from this studio orange and i'm i'm really excited to see where this goes from here and it feels like like from what i understand the anime and the the manga have sort of like blown up thanks to this adaptation so i'm really excited to see what the future of this franchise looks like 
as well. Oh yeah, yeah, Scanlate. Uh, the translations of the manga have started up for Land of the Lustrous again because of the show, I think. Yeah, and not only that, but it's gotten picked up for uh, English, like proper English release as well. And like, yeah, just everything about it seems like it was like a big surprise hit, both here and in Japan. And so I'm like, re- I'm really excited to see how how things develop. Nice. But so what's your what's your biggest surprise of 2017? My biggest surprise was Kato, the right answer for the extreme amount of whiplash it had from the end of the show. Uh, it, I was recommended it by a friend who said, wow, this show gets completely crazy. So I did, so I decided to pick it back up from where I left off. And, uh, and it turned out, yes, it did in fact get completely crazy. And <laughs> the reason it is number one is because the, the extreme whiplash was bigger than anime guitaries. And, like, I feel like it lasts even longer than what it seems like for anime guitars, <laughs> like, in that it, it continues to double down harder and harder on its, um, on sort of, like, its, its whiplash and its sort of, like, complete change of tone. <laughs> it, it certainly has an ending. <laughs> it certainly ends. We dedicated a whole podcast episode <laughs> title to, to some of, uh, oh, to right. some of we, Kato, we, the right answer. We did. <laughs> and so, like, you know, clearly, it had an impact. Oh, uh, what a, what a silly show. And my, uh, my biggest surprise was Scum's Wish, just because it, again, it's, it takes these, these taboo subjects that are otherwise, like, you know, they, they don't really, like, address it in the, this sort of media, or they romanticize it in a way that's, like, really uncomfortable and, like, bad, I think, for for the audience is trying to portray, and, like, really doing something with it, like, really using this opportunity to to talk about the, you know, these these unhealthy, these dangerous relationships, and, you know, teaching the audience not only, you know, how to see it and how to, and what it takes to to have, like, a good, proper relationship, like, the trust in in one another and stuff like that. It's It's very cool, and, like, it even, you know, deals with, like, same-sex relationships in a way that's, like, not demonizing people because of their sexuality, but pointing out that, like, even, you know, even within these communities and within these groups, there are things that you need to pay attention to, and you can fall into sort of these, like, dangerous behaviors no matter who you're dealing with. And so it's it's a very mature show for what it looked like it was going to be on the surface. And now, on the other side of the spectrum, we've got our biggest disappointments. And these are just, these are shows that we look at and we either go in with a lot of expectations or we see a lot of potential in early and it just, you know, it fails to, it fails to deliver in some way. And so, first one, I thought of when I hit here was Welcome to the Ballroom, which we talked about recently. It's like, Welcome to the Ballroom has a lot of really good ideas to it um, in the anime. It, it does a lot with sort of its style and really plays into sort of like these exaggerated, exaggerated poses and designs for these characters. And it takes all of these good aesthetic ideas and then continues to sort of like undermine it in its story whether by using the the female characters like as like a consistent sort of like fan service engine rather than like treating them as like equal as they do their the male characters and the the relationships constantly fall flat between them i feel like because of the writing and so it's just like 
it, it just was a real disappointment to me because like I, I kept wanting to like it. There were a lot of cool things about it, but it kept it kept getting into sort of this like really kind of uncomfortable territory and things that I just I couldn't make amends with after a point just keep doing it over and over with the way that they treat their female characters. And so uh, I had to drop it there. Then the next one on here is uh, Kino's Journey in the Beautiful World, just because it feels like this adaptation was missing something. It, it felt like these stories should have been longer in a lot of cases. Like, it doesn't get a chance to, to fully develop the places that they're in and the characters that they're dealing with before getting to a conclusion that, like, I can see where the trajectory is on that show, but I don't feel like the... I don't feel like the the progression from point A to point B really makes sense or really takes, you know, it doesn't take uh, advantage of, you know, all of the things that they've set up within the series. So it, it's kind of a shame because it, it kept seeing all of this potential, but they, they never really delivered on it because of what seems to be the pacing. Yeah, I've heard that a lot of people prefer the original Kino's Journey anime to this one. Yeah, and maybe that's just like a directorial thing. Like maybe the the other person just handled it way better. So I I don't know, but it, it was just a shame. And so then uh, on the next one on the list, I have the reflection. Which the reflection is like a cool idea, right? Um, I think I think it's cool that uh, American creators and I guess Stanley in particular, since he's done this multiple times now, um, tries to dabble in uh, Japanese cartoons, and it's just like the reflection is a cool idea that I think just keeps stumbling upon sort of like, um, it, it feels a lot like a motion comic in a lot of ways. And I think that keeps pushing it back because like, it's very quiet in a way that sort of like, does, I don't think fits the mood and it's very slow in a way that I think really hurts the pacing. Like everything's really drawn out, but also I feel like the conversations are as half as long as they need to be to, to like, not just feel like they're expositing to each other and that they're like real characters. So it's kind of a shame. I I like the idea of the reflection and there are parts of it that seemed really cool. Like having sort of this this washed up one hit wonder musician become Iron Man more or less. And like his signature thing is that he plays his one hit wonder as he's flying through from his suit to sort of like give attention not only to his um his hero persona, but his real life you know, his real persona as well. And yeah, it's just, it was kind of a shame. Hearing you talk about this only has me more excited for uh, Tiger and Bunny season two. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I can't wait to see all the new advertisements they have. Hmm. Then we have Sagrada Reset, which like, I think we've, t- we've talked about it before. Sagrada Reset yeah. is a story with just, has a lot of ideas. And it doesn't know how to deliver any of those ideas. And so characters just talk. And talk a lot about these ideas, but don't really get anywhere. And then accidentally they like solve they solve a mystery. Um like there's there's totally like a um a procedure there that makes a lot of sense. But everything about it is just very like stiff and sort of like lacking in character. You know, a lot of characters just stand looking at each other and just talk about things, and the the, the direction as well is sort of like just as lifeless as that. So there, we lose a lot of personality that I, I assume is supposed to be there for these very, like, kind of bland, you know, philosophically inclined characters. And so, like, 
there is a cool idea there. And there are some moments in there that are like, wow, you know, in a, in a series that maybe took more advantage of this sort of stuff, they could really do something with this concept, but it never really seems to, it never got there by the time I dropped it. I watched the whole thing. And you sure did, buddy. Yes. And no, these characters are exactly as bland as you think, because one of them has barely any emotions, and the other one is kind of emotionless to begin with. And it turns out that one of them's a robot. They were right the whole time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Oh, I don't want to explain it because it's the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. <laughs> this show makes me kind of angry because it has all the framework for something good, but because everything about it is so stiff, it just, ah, <laughs> uh, it's so close to being something that could be good, but it just misses the mark by having no seen direction at all because the ways that the protagonist <laughs> solves these problems and mysteries are all really cool and all the powers are really weird and inventive but it just everything's just so drawn out and ponderous and they uh i'm still mad that they actually worked the thought experiments from earlier into the sh earlier in the show into the actual plot Ugh, I I am mad at this show. <laughs> remember, remember that point, like in episode three, where this girl's using her powers to like avoid like the the time loop, and so uh, the main character forces her to kill him, and then does the time loop so that she remembers the traumatic experience, but no one else does. You ever think about how fucked up that is? I thought about how fucked up that was the moment that happened. <sighs> Our protagonist is kind of an asshole. Oh, wow. Just what a, what a show. Shame, shame, shame about it. But wow, what yeah. a show. Yeah. And then the last one on my list is Descending Stories, uh, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. And, you know, it's a real shame because uh, last year, uh, this was on both Jordan and I's, like, this was our number one, you know, we thought it was the best prestige anime of that year. And it's, it's a very nuanced story with a lot of characters that are deeply flawed, but you understand why they do all those things, and it's just a case of sort of like kind of terrible people living with each other and sort of like the the ways that that they conflict with each other trying to sort of uh, trying to live their own lives and also and like inadvertently dragging people in. And the second season, I don't know, there's just like something about it just didn't click with me. And I think part of that is just like, um, kind of like Kino's journey. I felt like a lot of parts of those stories just needed to be fleshed out more. It needed more time to breathe and be able to, to get to whatever story it was trying to tell because it, it, everything kept fe feeling too rushed. And like, they were trying, they were kind of like jumping to conclusions too fast. And just like, I don't know, there are implications at the end of the, the series about like, character motivations that really just were uncomfortable and just kind of like soured me on on the whole ending despite sort of being like kind of like a, a happy ending and sort of like everyone's pays respects to the characters that came before them it's like i don't know a lot of death by a million cuts it just felt like there were a lot of like little things that i i couldn't quite wrap my head around with that series that that really dragged it down 
um, in a way that, like, the original, uh, the first season of it is so much more simple, and it 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 had, like, a stronger point to make, I think. Hmm. Ah. Alright. Well, I'm up then. Uh. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, well, I are, we already mentioned Sagrada Reset. I are, I have two, I, I don't need to say all the things I don't like about Sagrada Reset again. It's a stupid ass show that I watched all of that has moments of greatness, but it's just mired by ridiculously stiff scene direction. But, uh, other stuff. Uh, there's Junie Tyson. Uh, Junie Tyson is an anime that I thought was going to be really cool because it was, uh, by the same guy that did, um, uh, Niso Eisen, who did uh, Katana Guitari, which is one of my favorite animes around, and it's got, was supposed to have a pretty cool soundtrack, and it just wound up being a whole big series of anti-climaxes, one after the other, and it's just, it feels like wasted potential, and then I found out that it was just like a single light novel, so the fact that it kind of got padded out makes a lot more sense. But yeah, it just kind of what had a whole bunch of disappointing conclusions to a lot of ideas that they had that were really cool. Like it's it's another cool concept, poor execution sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Vatican Miracle Examiner, which <laughs> <laughs> that's it's wild that we would put this on a, a a surprise and disappointment list. But I get what you're getting at, so continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know exactly what I mean. Okay, so Vatican Miracle Examiner starts off swinging out of the gates with completely insane bullshit in the first four episodes, and then it just kind of peters out by the end, which is really disappointing to me. Like, it, the craziness just, it's still there, but it's not as completely wild as secret Nazi cult puts <laughs> with preserved Hitler's corpse to create the next Hitler. Right, and like... The other ones are, like, character-focused, right? It's like, we're, we're learning more about the particular characters in this. I feel like we really needed to start out with those first. Like, yeah. you know, figure yeah. out what Roberto's deal with, with his dad, and, like, you know, have that one. Because it's, like, it's still crazy, because, like, the, these people try to assassinate these Catholic priests by throwing a giant snake in their room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened. Right, right. Yeah, they should have, like... This show, more than anything, needed to be reorganized episode-wise, because the last episode is a disappointing, the real miracle was friendship all along ending, and that's just such a lame way to end this wild and crazy show with complete nonsense in it, like a secret Illuminati that are alchemists? We never really get a resolution on that whole plotline because instead it's the real miracle was friendship right you open with that sort of like oh it's this cutesy sort of thing right like it, it it's got like a you know it's got like a positive message to say and then you go to there's this entire like group of people who have been living underground for years trying to find gold and printing fake money and then you go to the secret nazi stuff like it's such a <laughs> It's such a misaligned, like, adaptation. I don't know if that's what the books are like, where it's like, oh yeah, volume one is the secret Nazi conspiracy, and then later on they do whatever. It's- I feel like it is. It's, ah, uh, it's, it, <laughs> it's frustrating, because it's a really good popcorn anime, but it just peters out. Yeah. Remember yeah. Murder Santa? Yes, that episode, <laughs> that episode is so weird. 
because you don't know what the fuck happens in that entire episode. Hello, my son. I am a demon. You must never wish for anything or bad things will happen to you. That's the better ending, right? Where it's like, maybe all this shit is real. Like, miracles and stuff, you know? Like, maybe that's what would be more an interesting ending than the real miracle is friendship story. Like, yeah. it's still not great, right? You still end with, you should still end with the Nazi thing. But it's a better, like, one-off ending episode. Yeah, it's, it's just so fucking bizarre. Alright, and then I've got uh, Adam the Beginning, which is one of the few shows I dropped this year. Because, uh... I'm all for cool stories about robots and art and AI and all that stuff, but all of the characters in this show really felt static every episode I was watching it. It was it seemed like it was much more of a slice of life sort of thing, except there's robots there. <laughs> and it didn't really feel like it was going anywhere, and apparently I dropped it before the plot actually got going. Which mm-hmm. is kind of annoying since I watched half of the show and the plot didn't start yet. Right, that's a, that's a real shame, kind of. That, that that's not a mistake on your part. That's a mistake on the show's part. Yeah, yeah, but it uh, it's a show that I wish was better or better paced or whatnot. And then mm-hmm. I've also got Kato here. I I personally didn't think it was a disappointment, but I understand how people did think it was a disappointment because the last three episodes of the show completely betray everything else that the show was going for because it gets incredibly fantastic incredibly quickly, and I feel like a lot of people were really disappointed with how it ended, because it looked like a giant train wreck, and in a sense it was. But at least for me, it was a really entertaining train wreck to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's just, you know, that's going to be a different a difference in expectations kind of thing. So, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> something happened. <laughs> No truer words have ever been said about Kato the right answer besides something happened. Uh. Uh, anyways, so for our number one picks, mine is Descending Stories, Shouagen Roku, Rakugo, Shinju. Again, just because it's like, after coming off such a, a hot first season where I was so into it, it was really just, it, it, it felt like each episode was like losing a little more love for the series because I felt like it was it was taking these steps that just like, didn't really connect with what it was doing before. And so, like, you know, more than anything else, where a lot of these were sort of, like, you know, first-time experiences with the franchise, it's like, you know, coming so high off of the first season to this, it was just sort of like, it it, it left a, you know, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And mine is Sagrada Reset for <laughs> being almost good, but not quite, because how frustrating it's directed. God, that show makes me angry. <laughs> Uh, tune in for our three hour spoiler cast of a Sagrada reset where we just talk about how mad it makes us please don't tempt me (laughs) so next up we have best production and you know this goes a number of different ways Um, best production can just be like it looks the best it you know it has the most style it could be like an entire show's aesthetic that goes into this, you know, from where we're sitting, we see this as sort of like the best examples of like animation or as a whole package, the 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 anime, like a, you know, story and everything. So let's start off with your choices for best production. All right. So I've got uh, Akka on here uh, because it 
it definitely has a very distinct style that it goes with. It, I think it sticks close to what the, uh, the manga art has been. And, uh, uh, I don't remember the author's name of ACCA, but... Uh, Natsume Ono. Right. Yeah, Natsume Ono draws people in a very unique style, and I think the Aka anime gets that across pretty dang well. It it has a very strong aesthetic to it, and I think it manages to stick to it, but it also manages to capture the feeling of all of the different uh, micro-nations having very, very different aesthetics, and I think it's pretty cool for that. Yeah, it, it, it has so many aesthetics in some ways, right? Like, it has sort of the, you know, the micro-nation that is basically, like, living in the Dark Ages, and, you know, like, this other one that's living in a cave, this other one that's sort of, like, kind of the West, the Wild West sort of thing. It's It's got so many different aesthetics, and, like, is able to pull them together pretty well by having them sort of be, like, you know, different areas and the way that sort of, like, the people from all of these different places look different and sort of integrate together is, like, really well done. You get the idea that this is, in fact, like, a world. A world on a single continent, but yeah. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Yeah, so it's, it, you know, it, it, it feels like it gels together in a way that, like, maybe it shouldn't because of how distinct all of these different places are, but it still works out. Yeah. And then I've got a uh, Princess Principal on here for having a very strong steampunk aesthetic that doesn't feel like it's overdone or gimmicky or whatever. It it fits perfectly into the world that it's in. It's given reasonable explanations for why technology is the way it is and it all ties itself like really really well together. It manages to have like this uh, a really nice style that it it makes its own. Yeah, and, you know, it kind of pulls a little bit from, like, more classic sort of, like, steampunk, like, industrial area sort of fiction, and, like, at no point feels like it's just, like, a mishmash of things. It does feel like its own distinct world that just happens to, like, tie together neatly for people who maybe recognize the references. I was gonna say, I remember, I believe, Cavorite, the, the mineral that they use in the show, is a reference to an old steampunk story. Yeah, that that's the that's the biggest one, and so, like, it's cool that they, they have that, and yeah, like, it's really well done. Like it's it's drawn really well. It's it like also with um with Chise, uh it, it you know, it does this good production thing of sort of like pointing out how out of place she is as sort of like a you know, a Japanese person in fantasy Europe, you know. There are so many like aesthetic choices that really like play up her her Japanese origins and like you know, the way that other people interact with her. And so it's, like, on the, on the production level, it's, like, a lot of really good attention to detail to make all of these characters distinct and, you know, like, feel fleshed out. There's a stupid amount of attention to detail in that show, if you, like, if you pause and analyze it and all that. Yeah, the, there's a lot of love put into Princess Principal, it seems, on the animation angle. You know, things just move real good. Yeah, they, it's, it's a good show. Uh, and then I've got uh, Little Witch Academia on here for just being, it, it's the usual trigger, really vibrant and expressive and overly animated, I guess, way of like everything being really bouncy. But also it, it shows that uh, the folks working on this have a really big love for like old tiny cartoons with all of Akko's tra- animal transformations. 
Like, they all feel like something you'd see in, like, an old 1920s or 1930s animation, and it's really, really charming at how it pulls it all off. But also, they had an entire episode where it had a bunch of giant robot references, and that ruled. Yeah, and, like, you can definitely tell they love it because they have two characters that are a duo called Hannah and Barbara. Like, they've got Hanna-Barbera there. Yeah, so like it, yeah, it definitely it definitely good. shows that love and it definitely like plays with sort of like this this good blend of sort of like, you know, uh western cartoon aesthetic and anime aesthetic. Yeah, it's it's a really nice kids show, which is not something you can say very often about a trigger anime. Right, and like just the it definitely when they do magic, there's a lot of like fantastic qualities to it, you know. They really put a lot of effort into the like effects of everything that they do. Yeah, they make it really easy to empathize with Akko's feelings of, wow, magic is amazing and cool and wonderful. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, like, the the creature design's very good. Like, the diversity with which Little Witch Academia does in terms of, like, its, its, char- its like, character designs and its monsters and, like, sort of just the way it presents itself. Very cool. Like, they have just... <laughs> And, like, some of them feel like, like, one-off jokes that, like, got through accidentally, like, making one of the t-shirts just, like, a goldfish. Also, Pyramid Head shows up. Like, there was that whole episode in, um, in Susie's Dreams that was just a million references. Right, so it's, yeah, it's, there's just clearly a lot of love being put into Little Wax Academia just for, like, the joy of animating more than anything else. Yes, and uh, there are a lot of opinions about the show that uh that it is a metaphor for animation itself that magic is animation uh and then i've got on here a special mention for uh fate apocrypha episode 22 for it being the animator's chance of going completely wild and just putting a ton of detail into every single battle that goes on in that episode and it just being really stylish like everything about that episode is just a crystallization of what the series could have been, which is just a bunch of crazy, super-powered fights between all these different characters from these different mythologies fighting it out for the chance to make a wish their own. And it's, uh, it just all looks and feels and sounds so really, really good. I'm excited to see people's reactions to this particular episode when the dub comes out in... I think a couple weeks. Yeah, I think February 9th, maybe? Something like that. Yeah, and then lastly, I've got on here, uh, March Comes In Like a Lion for its scene direction has been really top-notch and more so as the seasons have gone on. It uses a lot of tools really, really well. It uses a lot of color and music and just imagery to really good effect in making you empathize with the characters in these sh- in this show it it does a lot to really get you in that headspace to just through its its scene direction and how it's animated and all that yeah and like i i came to kind of like akayuki shinbo late like i hadn't really watched a lot of shaft stuff but like as i get more into it like it definitely feels like his particular brand of what he does works well in sort of like dramatic spots where it's like you can take these smaller moments for comedy where they're sort of like you know kind of these overproduced bits but i think the way that he does like 
visual metaphor and a lot of like, you know, kind of post-processing effects really benefits. March comes in like a lion, sort of like overly like metaphorical sort of style where it, it really gets to play with sort of the the emotions and things that um they talk about in that show. Yeah, I did you watch the uh the episode where the teacher had the big mental breakdown over all the bullying? Yeah. Yeah, that was a really powerful scene. Yeah, and like it does a good job of like when it when things really like when shit really hits the fan in that show, it does a good job of like making everything feel isolated and like kind of terrifying in that way by having make everything go kind of go black to white and sort of like separating they don't draw the backgrounds anymore. It kind of like feels like you've been separated from the world in a way yeah. that's like r- really effective. Yeah. I, uh, I just like the show a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I also have uh, March comes in like a lion on my side. Uh, along with that, I have um, ancient mages bride, which I just think that like the movement from manga to anime is really well done because some of the, some of the bits in the manga are really well drawn in a way it's like, oh, well, this is a monthly thing. Of course, they have the extra time to put the work in. And like the anime is able to put that really well and then also like build upon that with sort of like the the constant backgrounds of these like fantastical sort of worlds and environments in a way that like all pulls together to be this really cool blend of different mythologies. And it all feels like it belongs, right? It's not just like, oh, I, you know, I picked my favorite things and it doesn't matter how they blend. All these things seem to blend together in a way that's like really satisfying. Yeah, all the character designs and monster designs and et cetera all feel like they belong in this world. Yeah, like, again, the music really um, helps to build a particular sort of like tone for the series that's really well done it's just like everything when i look at the ancient mages bride i think wow that's really good and i really appreciate what studio for bringing their best here you know it's a real it's a real highlight in terms of just how it looks and how it moves um then i have on here urahara which i guess this is like really the best place for it to show up in any of these lists urahara it is overwhelming (laughs) In a lot of ways, but not in like, not that it's hard to watch, but it's overwhelming in that, like, you feel like every single piece of art, all of the background, everything is designed to exude this sort of like childlike wonder and sort of this like joy of creation in that, like, if they just like draw so much in the background, there's so much color, it's very messy, but like, in a way that really benefits the aesthetic of the show. They're drawing smiley faces on everything in the background, just to let you know that this is like a fantastical world where, you know, creation is such a joy. And it's it's a lot of fun in that way. Like, it, it bleeds aesthetic. Like, everything that it does is for the, uh, is for the sake of its aesthetic, in a way that, like, is very commendable. It, it sacrifices nothing. <laughs> And, like, it feels like it is exactly what the creators wanted it to be. And then, uh, also on here, Blood Blockade Battlefront and Beyond. Like I've talked about before, like, it feels like, um, kind of in a similar way, it's like, 
you know, it's it's very heavily based on on like Western tropes and media. And so it really plays into that with the the music and the atmosphere and everything. I think it really captures this um this like snapshot of New York City very well and sort of like the frantic atmosphere and sort of the you know the busy lives that everyone's holding and then throws like demons at it and it still feels like they've integrated you know it it feels like the world is very well developed and like everything they do within the show like the music really plays into that and gives you this very western feel that's like really cool and something that you don't see as much in an anime and so it's it's a very cool sort of thing and then the last one um is land of the lustrous again it's just like it's such a it's such a powerhouse of 3d animation and work to like really make the sort of like characters who are gemstones thing work there like there are a lot of ways that they could have you know messed this up if they had like cheapened on you know certain effects or like you know, kind of gone easy when it came to, like, when the gems break and sort of, like, they break into, like, a million shards, all lovingly animated and, like, shining light off of them. Like, there are so many parts where they could have cut corners, but it it feels like such a labor of love for them to have, like, put so much attention to detail into these characters and their world that, like, again, takes full advantage of the fact that it's a heavily 3D animated work. And does just so much with it. It's it's such a, it feels like the the studio is such a well oiled machine to put together the the quality of these episodes week after week, and you know like really play with what the viewer might expect from from three D anime. So Zane, what's your winner? I am going to say March comes in like lion because I really enjoy how well it manages to convey mood through its scene direction and use of color and sound and all that it's it's a very good show that makes it easy for you to empathize with its characters through its through everything about it mhm and mine is land of the lustrous again it's just like because of how much it seems to like push the the expectations uh, of anime forward and like going into it it's like okay there have been some good 3d anime this year but this is just such a standout in terms of animation quality and the way that they've you know put all this work in it's such a well-produced thing and like the the way that they do the soundtrack as well a lot of it is very um percussion heavy in a way that like feels like it complements sort of this idea of like gemstones and stuff it's very um harmonic it's very um it's kind of like they use a lot of like kind of xylophone type instruments so that they have this ringing effect. And it's it's very it's very cool in a way that just like I don't feel like anything else in anime really was this year. <sighs> and now it's time for the worst anime of 2017. Ugh. <sighs> Starting off on my end, I tried to keep the. I, I feel like it would have been really easy to put, you know, just like abhorrently awful things on here, but I, I kept it to things that I at least have watched portions of for the sake of this. And so the first one on this list is King's Game the Animation, which 
uh, someone, one of my friends, convinced me to watch because it's like, oh, this might be interesting. It's really bad. Um, so King's Game, the animation is like uh, the story of this class that suddenly gets like um, uh, text messages from some higher power that kind of like tells them to do, you know, basically like causes them to do dares. And if they don't do them, they are murdered in some horrific way or they just die. And um, it's just uh, all over. Like, it, it's ugly. Um, all the characters suck. And there's, like, no motivation for any of them. It's, like, it's really graphic for the sake of being graphic. And it's just, like, it's just no good. Like, all everything about King's Game is awful and terrible and, like, schlocky in a bad way. Like, there's, there's not even any joy to when these characters die. It's just sort of like, you don't even get to see the kill. It's basically just like, you you know, the, you go off screen and then you come back and the person's just like, hanging. And it's like, man, that's that's fucking dissatisfying even for like the schlocky mess that I expected this show to be. So it's just like, ugh, whatever. Then there's Handshakers. I think, um, <laughs> I feel like Handshakers is one of those shows that sort of everyone latched onto early on because it was just such a, such an example of really awful animation and everything um 3d's bad uh animation's really bad everything is like oversaturated in a really gross way and overprocessed. it's 2d characters on a really shitty 3d world and like man just everything about it and the fact that like the most animated parts of it are these like teenage girls boobs bouncing is just a fucking ugh disgusting ugh, ugh handshakers then I have a Vatican Miracle Examiner here, because I think it has to be here, because it is 100% a bad show. It is fun to watch. There are parts of it that are, like, lots of fun to watch. But it is 100% a bad show. The mysteries are bad. The conclusions come out of nowhere, and there's no way you would have expected them until you're told specifically the answer to these riddles. And, like, as we talked about before, it... It opens with its best story and then just kind of peters out as it's like, oh, we can't follow up to this. What do we do? And then they just keep feeding us things. And it's like, well, it just kind of ends on a nothing note. It's a real, it's a real shame of a progression there. I was going to say, I, a, a bit ago, but I heard the plot to King's Game, the animation is incredibly stupid and fucked up. Yeah. So it's, so it's like, uh, so the, basically the idea of King's Game is, like, they start getting text messages from uh, some higher power, and if they don't follow them, they die. And basically, the game goes until only one person is left, and the the things keep getting more and more fucked up as they go. Like, it, it starts out like, oh, you have to kiss, you know, you have to kiss one of your classmates, or you have to, like, go on a dare, and then it's like, you know, uh, you know, one of them's like, you have to have sex with someone, or you'll fucking die, and, like, your dick explodes, or whatever. It's, like, really shitty and awful, and, like, yeah, it's just no, it's just no good, and, like, the characters aren't fun to watch, they all suck, like, there's just nothing about it um, that's, like, entertaining by the end. Also, it's got a lot of ass metal music in it, <laughs> like, the opening <laughs> and ending yeah. are, are the most, like, new metal bullshit that you could ever hear, it's awful. Um, then I have you on here Neo Yokio because it's technically anime, but also I needed a fifth thing because I couldn't think of a, I couldn't think of a fifth thing that I watched actively that was bad. So I was like, oh, you know, Neo Yokio. Neo Yokio is like, above all else, because I only made it through one episode, very boring. It feels very lifeless. 
And, like, I don't know, like, I don't understand where people were even watching it for, like, so bad it's good. Like, it's just a really lame show. And, like, just nothing worthwhile. Like, the the performances that, like, Jaden Smith is putting in are just, like, abhorrent. Like, it feels like he didn't have any interest in this. It's just a, you know, it's a real kind of whatever series. And I can't believe that of all the things that that could have been pulled from that, um, that dead Fox channel, they pulled this of all things. See, I don't know. I don't know. It's no giant Toblerone. (laughs) <laughs> like this show doesn't deserve a giant Toblerone man that was cool though I do like I like a Toblerone and it made me think about that five pound Toblerone that I watched a man eat once it's very cool that part's cool the rest of Neo Yokio is not good and then the final one is Anonymous Noise Anonymous Noise is like the shoujo series about music that I thought was going to be kind of cool because like the the conceit is that a lot of these um, insert songs are done like in character like it's these characters bands that are providing all of this music, and so that's cool. But the problem is, like, it's really, like, embarrassing in a lot of ways. Like, it is it, it is every shoujo trope, like, cranked up to 11, and, like, in ways that makes it very hard to watch, because it's not, like, funny how bad it is, it's, like, really embarrassing how bad it is, like, just, like, these characters making asses out of themselves in public, like, for dramatic effect, is just really hard to watch, and, like, also, none of the characters are good, but, like, Anonymous Noise, I really wanted to like, just from the concept alone. Because I like, I like bands in, you know, in shows that, like, do their own music and stuff. And I don't hate shoujo romance, even if it's kind of, like, tropey. But this was just, like, all the worst parts of it put together. So what about your list? I noticed that yours is, uh, only four items long. Yes, um, so... Uh, You're smarter than me. me. You didn't watch five bad things. <laughs> so for me, uh, I do not consider shows bad unless they are boring. So there may be some difference here of opinion or whatnot. But um, yes, uh, my bad animes are coincidentally some of the most disappointing ones for me, such as Sagrada Reset, which I have already mentioned many times of being a waste of potential. <laughs> It's just so bad, and we're going to talk about it for three more hours, guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, Junie Tyson for also being a waste of potential, because it starts out really cool. Oh, wow, these these characters have all these cool powers, and they're fighting, and we get to learn about their backstories, and every episode is from a different perspective, and it just... Uh, it just kind of falls apart by the end, and well, it... Uh, <laughs> it's I don't just, know. It's such a nothing show. It it turned into a nothing show. Yeah. It turned into a bunch of anticlimaxes, which sucks. And then I've got Vatican Miracle Examiner because it ended with a wet fart ending, and I hate that because I every time I watch an anime, I'm terrified that it is going to end like a wet fart, and Vatican Miracle Examiner was one of the unlucky ones that do end like a wet fart. So <laughs> it it sucks that that happens. Um, Anime Guitaris is on here because I still don't know what to think about Anime Guitaris. I don't know if it was good or bad. It was just something that I watched. It was entertaining. It was entertaining. It was an experience, but I I don't know. It Anime Guitaris is a is a weird show that just 
it it starts out seeming like this mundane slice of life show and then it that talks about anime and is really meta and then it just gets weirder and weirder as the show goes on until it gets full crazy meta and i feel like it's a better show to be watched to to binge watch still yeah i i do not watch that many be- anime i consider bad anime guitars is easily one of these shows that <laughs> aired this year <laughs> It is 100% a show that I finished in the year of 2017. Incredible. So, for worst anime of the year, let me tell you, King's Game the animation fucking sucks. It's fucking terrible. Nothing about it works, and I'm just so mad that I was tricked into watching it. It's not even like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this, so I'm going to watch it. No, someone fucking tricked me because I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. It looks bad. And I'm like, no, we should watch it. And ugh. How dare- You know what? I'm gonna call you up. Jordan, how dare you? How dare you betray my trust like this? First you leave the podcast and now this. <laughs> oh, minus Sagrada Reset because it's a guy- <laughs> it's a waste of potential. <laughs> I hate this show because there are so many times that she's like, oh, cool things are happening. But no, everything's boring and dull and frustrating. <laughs> and it has- it makes made me laugh because it had Kit Kats in it. <laughs> oh yeah! Came out. Oh yeah! They they go like, oh, you need to like break off a piece of that Kit Kat. Have this <laughs> Kit Kat so you don't kill yourself. <laughs> hey, I would. Hey, I I'd save my own life for a Kit Kat. That was the logic that the person giving the Kit Kat gave. Ugh, I hate very this good. show. <laughs> I hate this show so much because it makes stupid thought experiments part of the plot. No, don't Kats. do that. It did make Kit Kats part of the plot. <laughs> this show is frustrating and dumb. Don't watch it. Or do if you want to experience frustration. <laughs> so, now, coming off of that, some talk about things that we just really liked. You know? We like things. Like talking about them. So we're going to do it. Uh, like last year, we're going to do two um, Best Anime Awards. Just because it like, gives us a chance to not only talk about things that we thought were like, oh, you know, this was like smart or cool in a way that I didn't expect. You know, this uh, or, and things that were just like, I liked this because it's fun. You know, to make this dis- distinction to make sure that to make sure that we, you know, we give full consideration to both things that are just fun and cute. And things that we thought were like, you know, thought provoking or very interesting. And so first up, we have our best prestige anime, which I think between the both of us, that comes down to kind of a difference in in definition for what we see as like prestige, what we see as like more thought provoking or, you know, things like that. So uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll each kind of justify it as we go. But uh, why don't you start off with your list, Zane? Again, seem, it, it's a little shorter, but that's okay. Yeah, so uh, I guess my prestige, my definition of a prestige anime is stuff that's either stuff that you kind of have to think about or stuff with, you know, that touches on some really, uh, I guess, more mature themes. But um, uh, on here is Akka, which is the chillest political thriller I have ever watched. It is about a uh, a guy named Gene who is known as the cigarette peddler because he smokes a whole lot. And it's about him kind of stumbling into this weird conspiracy of a coup that happens but mostly he just kind of chills out goes takes a tour of the uh the country he lives in and eats a whole bunch of delicious looking food 
all the while kind of bumbling into this political conspiracy that he's somehow managed to find himself in. And it's honestly a really relaxing show for being a political thriller, and I I just like its style a lot. Yeah, it's it's a very cool show, and I think just because it does sort of like subvert the expectation of what a thriller means, like things are happening in the background all the time, and there's like a couple scenes where it's like really explosive in terms of action and stuff, but like when it comes down to it, you know, the, the way that they resolve these problems doesn't come in the form of like you know, this big counter-conspiracy or, like, you know, sort of thing. It's like, they they solve it through, like, political handling, you know? They they handle it in a way that, like, you don't expect from, from that particular genre. And so it's, like, very subversive in a cool way, in the way that it, like, it just handles itself as, like, casually and, like, maybe as, like, intelligently as the as the show comes off. You know, it's it's a very kind of, like, smart show and one that, like, kind of revels in sort of, like, taking the expectations of action and turning it into something else. Yeah, it's also notable because it's an anime that you can actually recommend to even people who don't watch anime because of the uh, the character designs and the fact that none of the main characters, except for, I guess, Jean's little sister, are teens. These are all actual adults with jobs. Yeah, and they, they all act like adults, you know? And they have very large hamburgers. Oh, God, I love... The place with the large, giant food. Ah, giant food's good. Regular food's good. They make, oh man, they make food look good in that. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how much detail they put into, like, every single dish, even though this isn't a food-related show. Right. And then I've got a Sakura Quest on here for being a really good character drama, uh, or I guess character study, about uh, these five young ladies. They're like, most of them are in their, like, early 20s. Uh, I think there's uh, Ruriko, who's, like, still in high school, I think. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's about these five girls, or I guess lady, these five ladies, trying to revitalize this small town that, with this dwindling population that doesn't seem to care what's going on to it, and... It's all about all these characters growing as people and learning things about, like, this environment that they didn't think they knew or rediscovering aspects of themselves. And uh, all in all, it's honestly a very human show. And I think one of the neatest parts about the show is that not only do the main five characters get their own arcs for themselves, the side characters also get arcs and are reasonably well-developed. And the, the show takes a lot of time to really go into its cast and what makes them tick and all that. And it it really makes the uh, the town of Manayama come across as a, a living place, someplace that you could really find if you were looking around rural Japan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, you know, it you, like you said, it's a very human story. And I think it like, you know, it does tap into to themes that, you know, anime doesn't talk about a lot. Because it's not really always focused on, you know, like 20-somethings, uh, you know, disillusioned uh, millennials coming out of college. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it does. It definitely does talk about that. And even when it's like really goofy, it's it's for a purpose about how, you know, in the revitalizing of this town, it's not bringing in gimmicks because that can only, you know, that can only satisfy people for so long. But it's about, uh, and this, you know, this can be expanded to these characters, like, it's not just about standing out, it's about, like, a, a lasting impression, and it's about, you know, really 
um, building on the things that are already there to to make them seem more attractive to an audience that may appreciate them but wouldn't know about it. Yeah, it's its themes come across really well. I I want to say this is on Amazon. Uh, this is on Crunchyroll. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. No well, problem. then even easier to watch. Yeah, even easier to watch because you don't have to pay for Amazon Prime. But yeah, Soccer Quest, Soccer Quest, and Knockout are both really, really good shows that you should give a, a look out for. Yeah, for sure. And then I've got Princess Principal on here because it's a uh, very much a a slice of life spy thriller, which is an interesting sort of show. It's it's very much another character driven story. Hey, all of the shows I have for prestige anime are very character driven. And focus on its characters and not just on the world. And I, I like, turns out I like characters. So Princess Principal is this show about this team of spies, team, uh, White Pigeon, uh, who basically you get to see them go about their lives. And the deal is that one of the members is a princess of the royal family who is basically working with them to betray their country so that they can make their country a better place because it was basically split in half by dissatisfaction with the royalty. And there's a big twist that goes on in the second episode that kind of redefines how you look at these characters and you can feel the effects of this twist throughout the show. But more importantly, it's just all these characters growing together and growing closer together and just going through these various misadventures and seeing how they grow and change that I think is really, really neat. It's definitely a smarter show than you might expect going into it as well. Like, not just, like, it's a cooler show than you expect, but it's also kind of smarter. Like, and I think it, you know, it it does deal with sort of, like, bigger topics in a lot of ways. Like, you know, it deals with the, that, uh, you know, the the student who becomes a villain later on who, like, constantly compares herself to others and sort of like looks down on herself because of it and desperately wants the attention that others have you know it's cool um and then like the the episode with chise where it's it's sort of about <laughs> european racism and the you know the way that it, it handles that and kind of like you know then talks about the how the characters you know around chise are interested in Sort of like trying to make her feel more comfortable and more at home because there is so much sort of like xenophobia going on between that. And like, you know, it clearly uh, Chise acts as a fish out of water a lot by being the only one who doesn't use a gun and uses like a katana and stuff. Like, it's a little like, you know, jokey in the way that it o- overplays sort of like her her Japanese-ness. But I think it it tells good stories about that and sort of like, you know really really tries to say something with uh with the thing it's set up. Yeah, I I think it comes across really well as to what its message is trying to be and even though it kind of leaves you on sort of a cliffhanger, it's I think it works because it's very heavily focused on making you care about its characters and by that time you're really invested in these girls and their relationships with each other. And I just kind of really hope it gets a second season because it honestly deserves it. <laughs> and it really ends off on a place that's like, we need a second season. It really does. And then I've got March Comes Like a Lion in Like a Lion on here because I really like this goddamn wow. show. Yeah, surprise. Um, so this show started back all the way in 2016 and it had one core of its first season in the beginning of this year. It had a second season that started last fall 
and it's currently going on with its second season, second core this season. It is a very bizarrely structured show because of how it's spanned across three years. Mm-hmm. For uh, for not being like a long running shonen anime like Naruto or Dragon Ball or whatnot. Right. But, um, March comes in like a lion. Uh, follows uh, Rei Kiriyama, who is a high school student who is a shogi prodigy who has turned pro, I believe, at the age of 16 years old, and he has basically stagnated in his life because he feels he hasn't gone anywhere in a while. He He's having trouble figuring out what to do now. And it's a lot about him and his relationships with all the various people that he's come into contact to with in his life. This family, the Kawamoto's, the the Kawamoto sisters, Akari, Hikari, and Momo, and and how they sort of have formed a new home for Rei after he's living on his own. Uh, his rival, Nikaido, who is very um, aggressive and comes across as a, as a standard shonen rival, but he's got a bit more going on to him than that. And um, his teacher, who manages to really care about him and help and kind of help advise him in, you know, trying to fit in at school when he's coming into school a year late because of him going sh- becoming a pro shogi player. And it's a very, very well done character drama about all these characters growing, maturing, and changing, and their various ideals clashing with other characters. And it's it's all done in a way that I think makes it very easy to empathize with all these characters' problems and situations. And it's all just a, one of the most human shows I've seen in a very long time. And I think Ray's story is something that's just really well done. Uh, it also, as I said earlier, it spends a good amount of time uh, talking about it's side cast and making sure you care about all of them and developing them and all of that. It's, it's just a really, really good, well-directed, well-written show. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why it's also on my list. Other items on my list. Uh, I've talked about it plenty before, but scum's wish again, just for being such a, such like a, a show that defies expectations and really gets to the heart of what makes like, you know, teacher-student relationships and other sort of, like, unbalanced, unhealthy relationships uh, so dangerous. It really is effective and sort of, like, everything about the way it's put together is sort of, like, evokes that mood of sort of, like, it's it's a real sense of melancholy at the start as, you know, all of these characters are sort of stuck in their ways and sort of the way that they, um, the way that they look at their emotions and the way that their lives are leading. And you know, eventually grows to show all of these characters, like, really coming to understand what it is about their their relationships and their crushes that are so harmful to either themselves or to their partners, and how that ultimately moves into sort of like a a, a thoughtful and maybe like a little hopeful ending about, you know, these characters all being able to move forward from these, from these experiences. Uh, then we have Girls Last Tour, which Girls Last Tour, while it seems like it's very lighthearted, I think what makes it stand out is how much, like how much of it is focused on sort of like trying to make the, the reader sort of like rethink 
the things that they've they've come to just accept as no- a commonplace in, in modern society because it is so removed in setting and time from you know the modern world it it takes a chance for these characters to look at all of the things that that we do as societies and sort of like you know talk about it and like critique it and try to understand what the core of what all of these problems so like you know it talks about sort of like the way we look at war machines and while like it seems cool to start it's like you look at the sheer destruction that it causes and you wonder why you know people feel like they need to have these things in order to protect themselves and so like girls last tour under sort of the guise of these like moe blob sort of characters has like a lot to say about modern society and also just about like you know at the at the end of the world if you know you have a friend beside you you can make your own entertainment and sort of like find peace within sort of the world it's it's fascinating in a way that I never would have expected. Also on here, Land of the Lustrous, as I've talked about before, just such a quality piece of media for not only pushing forward the the, the medium, but also like Land of the Lustrous, um, it takes its characters and it's very sort of like base setup, which is sort of like, you know, these characters who are left on Earth however many years after humans have left. Uh, fight against these Lunarians from the moon who come to steal them to make uh, like ornaments out of them. And it takes these characters, like, you know, our, our focus character, Fos, uh, who is sort of like your typical shonen style protagonist who's just really excited to, to join everyone else and do work and like fight, you know, fight. And the way that their, their story develops and their character kind of like changes as they they start to realize how messed up and crazy the world is is just such a remarkable story that finds ways to like constantly take things that you understood as truth and sort of like you know make you think about them differently or you know make you understand that sort of like the way that these characters describe parts of the world aren't actually how they are and it's very cool in that way like land of the lustrous just like has so much going for it not only in like terms of technical prowess but like as a story it's just really well done and it like the the way that fos as a character develops is just so strong in a way that like other shows like it just don't accomplish very often and the last one on here is is a film i saw that came out in the u.s and 2017, so it counts. And it's called In This Corner of the World, and it's a very long production. In fact, I think, like, the director's cut adds, like, an extra half hour onto it. But, like, the main idea of In This Corner of the World is that it it looks at, like, the, the Japanese citizens circa the end of World War II. It's less focused on sort of the actual conflict and sort of what it meant for the people who had to live through it and, you know, didn't know what was going on. And the way that sort of, like, you you get to understand how the Japanese citizens sort of got, like, tricked into thinking that they were on the right in this conflict and the way that it affected their everyday lives and just sort of, like, how they had to cope as all of these, you know, all of these things happened around them with them not being able to affect it. It's such a powerful story 
story about a a side of that conflict that you you don't really get the chance to see a lot, right? Like a lot of World War II media, certainly in the West, is focused on like D-Day or it's focused on the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But you know, this takes this takes the side of the the losers of the war and like how much just all of it affected them because they weren't ready to go to war and like it talks about how fucked up it is on the citizen side that like America dropped the <laughs> nuclear bombs on them basically after they were already done you know after they had already lost it's such a it's a truly incredible story told in a way that like I think is able to to bring out all of the humanity of these characters who feel very real within the world and sort of like the way that their relationships change as they grow up in sort of like this war culture there it's it's like kind of hauntingly beautiful in a lot of ways and sort of like you know really makes you think about uh maybe maybe it makes you think about conflict a little differently because it's not just like which side's in the right or wrong because you know not everyone gets a say in that so what's your winner zane Obviously, Smarsh comes in like a lion because I'm. <laughs> I don't know why. I asked. <laughs> oh my god, I'm on best light anime too. What the? Oh <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I mean, I get it. You know, March comes in like a lion's very good character drama. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it. I guess it's a lot more relatable to me because Ray's issues. I I can definitely see where he's coming from, and I feel like I have some of those issues myself. So it, it's it's rare that I come across a character as relatable to me as Ray is, and that's probably why I like it so much. I, I totally get that. Um, yeah, and mine, in a last minute change, I as I thought about it more, it's like I was a little removed from this one just because of how long it had been since I see, I've seen it compared to some other things. But I think in this corner of the world is my favorite like prestige thing to come out just because it is such a it's such a unique perspective, certainly on the Western side, to see how the the you know the war looked and how it was contextualized and the the way it affected just like people on the ground. And so I think like as a piece of art, it's really powerful and it's really evocative. And yeah, it's just a it's a really good movie. And finally, it's time for the best light anime. Let's just talk about stuff that's fun. Uh, and, you know, nothing says fun quite like Little Witch Academia. Little Witch Academia, building off of sort of like the, the groundwork that Studio Trigger made for like their, their original like OVA about it and then the follow-up movie. Um, it's just such a, it's such a charming little series about like, you know, a magic school that builds into something more about that. And it's just like about the joy that these characters have living in this world. It's kind of like other shows. It's just like the joy of creation and the joy of like existing in such a flawed, beautiful world. And I think like it does a good job for the most part, uh, making all of these characters stand out and have sort of like, you know, multifaceted goals and ideals and playing with sort of these, these character tropes and building them into something that's really interesting and like you know a lot of these different characters who are otherwise would kind of be like um footnotes or something like 
they they all get a little bit of attention and they all you know get some amount of they get all some some amount of development to them that like really feels good and like they're all so distinct and sort of like it kind of throws <laughs> the rules of world building out the window because it kind of wants to do whatever it does but in that way it's like it's chaotic in a way that sort of just like fits together you know the first time that something weird happens you're just like okay this is what we're rolling with and so it's it's just a lot of fun yeah i this is also one of the things on my list at little witch academia is just a a really char- charming, really goofy, really fun show about this young kid who just really, really loves magic and wants to be a part of this crazy magical world, even though it's apparently a dying craft. She still loves it that much that she wants to, like, see it through. She wants to become <laughs> this this magic person. Single-handedly wants to bring it back. Yeah, she's she's got a big heart, that Akko. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, this is a uh, a show I like a lot. It's got some uh, some pacing issues, but even with the pacing issues, it's still a re- a really fun show. Yeah, and then next up on my list is uh, Recreators. Recreators is way dumb, but <laughs> I think again, it's it's about the joy of creation and the like the way that not only um, like creators sort of like put themselves into a piece of art. But also, like, the way that fans then look at it, and the way that sort of, like, in some ways media is like a, you know, a, a two-way street. And so it, it really plays with that, and sort of, like, how the fans help to form these characters out of what the authors have created. And sort of, you know, it's just like, it's also just like a big, stupid, fun action thing. Like, when it's not talking for episodes at a time, trying to justify its world in a world that doesn't need justifying. I think that, like, the action is really cool, and the way that it sort of plays with what we consider, like, canon, more or less, is really fascinating. So, I think that, like, there are a lot of cool ideas that make recreators more than just, like, a a Battle Royale action show. <laughs> I also have recreators on my list, and I think it's a really dumb show that sometimes talks too much but it has a really fun cast of characters but it also surprisingly gives depth to uh to the actual creators and not just the creations and i think that's pretty cool that it's that it's a show that's basically hey making things is cool and you should make things fuck what other people say and that it pulls from so many different genres and sort of like is able to be like okay well these certain rules apply like with the magical girl thing where she comes to this real world and suddenly has to realize that because she's been removed from her story her actions have like serious consequences in terms of like structural damage and stuff like you know things don't just repair like they do in in the in the shows so it's like it plays with that in a couple interesting ways that's like neat oh i also have to mention that that the plot to defeat the villain of the show is to make the best crossover fan fiction ever which rules. Ah, it's so cool. It's like, how can we justify all of these characters fighting this one singular villain? And so it's like, well, we need fan approval. And what do fans love? That's right. They love giant multimedia uh, crossovers. And so they're like, oh, we're making this. And then it's like, they pretend that this real thing happening is an anime. It's it's something that could only happen because it is itself an anime. And it's, oh, what a, yeah. what a show. Yeah, I- 
I think my favorite dumb joke part about this is that the people announcing the show at the event are the voice actors for two of the characters. So Yeah, so at, at points they're just like, I don't remember recording that. <laughs> or like, did that happen? I don't remember anymore. It's like, cool. Yeah, it's a cool, cool. show. It's really dumb, but it's cool. Um, then on here, I have Blood Like A, Battlefront, and Beyond. For the most part, with these types of lists, I, I don't want to put, like, sequels on, because in a lot of cases, like, well, I just recommend the whole show. It's not, like, just the sequel. But I think Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Beyond, just because it, it did course correct, I think, in a lot of ways compared to what the original s- season did, where the director sort of wants to tell this own story within it, this, this redirection into sort of, you know, being more faithful to the original story and, like, kind of leaning into sort of the style and aesthetic of it like makes Blood Lucky Battlefront and Beyond such a standout in comparison to the original series that I needed to put it on here. And I just it's such a good season of anime. Ugh. Um I also on have on here just because um I was I was thinking of which sort of like slice of life, like maybe romantic thing that I was gonna put in here. And I I think while like Suki Gakire from earlier this year was really good. And like a really charming sort of like romance story. I, I appreciate just because better because it, it's a little bittersweet, you know, not everyone gets the happy ending. It, it feels a little more genuine in a lot of ways with all of its different characters. And I think it does like a, a larger cast better. So that's the, that's the one choice I made on here is that just because it was sort of like the slice of life. Uh, teen romance story that was gonna make the list. And then, last one on here is, uh, a real favorite. It's your name. You know, the most popular anime movie ever made. Um, having the chance to see it this year, I, like, I get it. Um, Makoto Shinkai is, I think, a pretty good director. And this is, like, his most sort of, like, pop thing. So it's, like, a little more, it's a little less, like, art house. But I don't think it's any less effective. I think it's a really good, like, vaguely supernatural story about, you know, like, teens sort of, like, learning to understand people from from different situations and different lives, and, like, it's it's very heartwarming and very funny, and it, you know, it really hits this good feeling by the end of it. It's, it's very much, like, sort of, like, a, a made-to-be-a-hit sort of movie, and I think it worked really well. So what's the rest of your list, Zane? All right, so I've, my list is not very small because I already got, or it is small because I already mentioned two of the things on it. So first off is My Hero Academia's second season uh, because it's, I think, much like you going into putting Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Beyond on here, I think My Hero Academia's second season is a lot better than the first season. It's a lot better paced. We get a lot more good character moments compared to the first season. We get some really good character development for well, for basically everybody, and we actually, you know, get more of a a glimpse of, like, how the main villains are and how they interact, and just, like, a lot of really, really good stuff happens in that second season, and and I'm happy that, like, it finally got the chance to be as good as it could be, because one of the big issues with the first season was that it was really badly paced, like, as an example, the first chapter took two episodes to get through because it it had all that buildup, but 
now that like the series has gotten momentum and such, it I'm it's it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, it definitely seems like uh, in comparison to the first season, it just like it knew exactly what pace it needed to move at, all the beats to hit. Whereas like the first season, there's a lot more sort of like like it's kind of struggling to get to sort of these big points because it's trying to build up this world to start in a way that yeah. maybe didn't fit the format quite as well as once it hit its stride in the second season. Yeah, I think that might also have something to do with the first anime season being developed pretty early in the manga's life cycle. Either way, I, I'm glad this show is is getting more popular and that these these characters are just getting these chances to shine and that it's just a really fun show about goofy-ass kids with superpowers growing up and doing cool stuff with each other. The next thing on my list is uh, Interviews with Monster Girls, which is just a really relaxing, really fluffy show about this world where um, basically supernatural entities kind of exist, but they more exist as, like, physical conditions than actual monsters, like... The vampire is just, she doesn't like being in the sun for very long because it drains her energy physically. <laughs> and, and because she has fangs, she likes to like bite on things sometimes instead of just like having a craving for sucking blood. It's, and it's all very cutesy, but it, it has a lot of heart to it as this, this teacher who basically serves as their guidance counselor basically helps them, uh, fit in with, everybody else because everybody else is sometimes like weirded out by their weird qualities but the this teacher who has an interest in these uh these monster people with the sh which the show calls demis uh he helps them fit in and grow and all that and it's a really charming little show that i that i wound up really liking a lot that's cool yeah i heard some good things about it like sort of in a surprising way, given its premise, is like, oh, this has actually turned out pretty well, like, in an interesting way, and that's cool. Yeah, it's it's probably the most uh, viewer-friendly uh, Monster Girl anime out there. Hmm, okay. And then I, I noticed a secret fifth entry on your list. Yes, my secret fifth entry, a show I have watched all year, and it finally finished uh, some months ago. It is Kamen Rider X-Aid, which is an incredible show that I did not expect to be as good as it is. Uh, Kamen Rider X-Aid is a live-action show, but it is still extremely anime. Uh, it is about a doctor who punches out uh, sickness with 90s video game superpowers, except that's what it wants you to think, because at the end of the first arc, it takes a huge... It basically sets its first arc up to establish normalcy, and then at the end of it, shatters it, and the plot starts. Character... It gets to some really good character drama stuff, and the characters are all really fun, interact really well, and it asks questions that you didn't think that the show would ask about its villains and such. And also, it does some just really interesting things, such as uh, one of the good guys giving one of the villains an existential crisis to make him turn to the side of good, <laughs> which is a thing I cannot believe happened. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm really sad that I stopped watching. I don't know why either. It's like I got I got distracted by other things and I like at some point it was like, "Oh, I can't go back to this anymore. I'm I'm too far behind." But I remember liking what I had seen before. And it seems like it just keeps getting good. <laughs> yeah, if if it's somewhere around the first arc, it's just hard to get through it because it's it seems like it's very samey, 
But once it gets past that first arc, it just goes all out and never stops. And it's probably one of my favorite things that I watched this year. Cool. That's always cool. Yeah, I, I just kind of don't want to get too into it because the, the plot is a real treat. Yeah, no problem. But, in a surprise uh, twist, we both have the same best light anime. That's right. It's Little Witch Academia. Yeah, it's really good. But also, Kamen Rider X-Aid is probably my favorite thing that I watched this year, but it's not an anime. Right. As far as anime goes, it's Little Witch Academia. Because, yeah, we talked about it before, like, it's, it's a flawed series, you know? But I think beyond those flaws, it's like trying to tell something really genuine and really, like, heartwarming that, you know, like, is very different than what you might expect from from Studio Trigger. So it's like a it's a nice little reprieve, you know, from sort of like these these other shows. It's just like this real like joy in a way that maybe some other of their shows just haven't quite uh matched up to. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of heart put into it in every aspect that it's got and it's it's just a real joy to watch and it's probably even better to watch now that you don't have to wait for it week to week. You know, you don't have to hope, oh, I hope it gets better next week or whatnot. It's just it's just all there and you get to see everything go into action. Yeah, and it's it it really is just a, a great little show. I time and time again kind of get burned by uh my interest in, in Trigger as a studio. But this was uh this was this really kind of hit all of my expectations with that. So it was a real it was a real joy and it was just like it was just a lot of fun uh week to week even if it was sort of like in the first half it's like well are they going to are they going to get to something like still the stories were fun. Yeah. Yeah, that that was my biggest problem when I was watching it live was that it it took a while for the plot to actually start. But once it started it was pretty fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. And before we go, there's a couple other things that uh, I thought we should hit. Just stuff from the fans. I don't think we're going to have time to talk about everyone else's uh, top fives. But, you know, um, one quick note I want to make, though, is that uh, our Australian friend, Fractal Sandwich, sent in an email and did this last year, too, kind of talking about the, the few shows that they watched. And I wanted to bring this up in particular because, uh, thanks to the podcast, uh, they got into Recreators, which they called their Anime of the Year for having some some really nice themes and uh, managing to be sincerely positive without feeling hollow or naive or maudlin. And also points out that it probably helps that they watched the whole thing after it had aired, so there was no worrying about, you know, week after week of sort of just like talking and no progression to the plot. Which I think, honestly, might have been the best experience with that show. But yeah, I just wanted to point that out. And I thought it was uh, cool that, you know, somewhere we're making a difference. Anyways, on to the end of the year fan mail. Uh, we have a we have a few here that I thought we could answer. All right, first question comes in from the toughest bean, who asks. What show do you think mixed 2D and 3D animation the best? So, I guess in, you know, in place of things that are like, oh, this looks really good, it's like, which shows integrated the 2D and the 3D well? And like, hmm. Hmm. Problem is I don't think about that. 
Yeah, I don't think I watched any shows where that sort of stuff happened. Uh, Recreators for the giant mechs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I guess that's the closest thing that we got. That's the only one I can really think of that, like, really tries to blend it a lot more. Is that with all of sort of like the, the mechs and sort of like magic stuff. Otherwise, I can't really think of any that are like really focused on the 2D versus 3D sort of like thing going on. Oh, uh, well, there's Garo, but it didn't actually finish yet. Yeah, but I mean, we can still talk about it if it, that's oh. if that's doing well. Why not talk about it? I mean, it hasn't really come up, but the the Garo suit itself is 3D. It just hasn't come up on a lot because uh, Sword rarely act transforms. Mm, okay. I guess Yu-Gi-Oh does it because they have all of their 3D monsters. <laughs> oh yeah, all of um, all of uh, Playmakers, Goofy, Encode, Xcode, whatever's. Yeah, all of his all of his big monsters come in 3D, and so do some of the other like kind of big notable ones. But you know, again, if we're if we're thinking specifically of like integration of 3D, I think Recreators is the only one I can really say is like well integrated um in comparison you know in comparison to other shows there are some shows though where i was like impressed by the background characters like fitting pretty well into the style such that you like in the moment you might be you might be convinced to think that they're 2d like uh suki gakure did that pretty well with its with its sort of like background groups uh like its background characters uh, for the first couple episodes. I was going to say, thinking about it, for me, it's definitely Garo, because it's not super trashy 3D. It, it all, the, the 3D stuff feels pretty well animated and well done. It's just not a big focus of the show. Yeah, sure, okay. Then we have a question, from, well, we have two questions from friend of the show, QB. Um, first asks, who is the best anime Chan of 2017? Uh, could we possibly pick a single character who is our favorite in all of anime from 2017? You're right, it's Ray from <laughs> March Comes In Like a Lion. <laughs> uh, hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad answer. Probably I. I? From? Yeah. From Vrains. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that goober a lot. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I really like I from from Vrains as well. It, in a show that is very self-serious and doesn't have a lot of um, comedy attached to it, it's it's really appreciative to have sort of like a mascot character that's just there to like bust <laughs> bust everyone's balls, you know? He's there to speed wagon every single duel and it's great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very charming. I guess that works. And he's probably the most anime character of them all. <laughs> and then uh other question just do you think that when you consider making these lists you uh tend to focus more on original stories or adaptations and i think this year actually had a pretty good blend of original stories and adaptations because like you look at recreators original little witch academia original uh, your name is originally a movie, uh, just because, um, Common Rider X Aid. <laughs> uh, Sakura, Sakura Quest. Quest. Yeah. Yeah. 
Princess Principal and Kato oh, were also yep. anime original. So I think, you know, there's a there's a good blend there, and then you have plenty of adaptations. I think that, like, you know, just as a medium, it generally tends to focus on adaptations, but I think we had a lot of really good original stories this year, for sure. And so I think this year, in particular, it's like, you know, we're we're looking at both sides of that. Yeah, now that you mention it, there have, I think, like, at least a third of the shows that I, a third, like maybe 40% of the shows that I watched were, uh, were original series. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I, I kind of, I'm trying to think back to last year and I feel like last year was a lot more adaptation heavy, but I think it's also a lot of cases, like not having the experience of having seen it like in manga or something makes it feel different where it's like, if I've seen it as a manga, maybe I do think of it differently as an adaptation, but because so many of these are like more or less unknown to me, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it in a different way. So it becomes a different sort of like thinking for me when it comes to that sort of thing. I don't know. Um, but, you know, this year it had a good blend and I just like, I think we're, we're definitely finding a place where a lot of more, a lot more original stories are getting their chance to shine. So yeah, I think that's cool. I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad people are getting this chance to, to try out writing for anime in this way. Like, people are getting a chance to tell stories through this medium that aren't just uh, adaptations of stuff, that they get to try their own original stuff to to do. Yeah, totally. It's cool. And it seems like right now, we're doing pretty good as far as anime goes. Would you call Kimono Friends an adaptation? Ah, I... I don't think so, because as far as I understand, it's a standalone story in that, you know, the story isn't related to um, whatever the game was doing. So I think it does count as an original. All right. Uh, that that sounds right. Yeah, I think I think in that kind of case, it, it's more original than it is not. Yeah, uh, so it's the end of 2017. We finally closed the book on all of our coverage of 2017. We can finally just look forward to 2018. And you know, all said and told, this season seems like a pretty alright start. Yeah, yeah, so far I think there's some pretty solid stuff in here. Yeah, not everything's hidden like I expected, maybe from the, the preview, but like, you know, it's still been enjoyable. There are still lots of shows here that are like, oh wow, this is this is pretty good, you know, things to get into. Yeah. And we're not even done with all the premieres. We still have a Fate Extra coming, right? Yeah, I think that's going to be tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's about plenty to see from this season, but so far it's looking all right. But I guess we'll talk about that next time we meet at the end of the season. Yep. For now, let's, uh, let's head on off. So where can people find you on the internet, Zane? I can be found on Twitter at at ZaneZero, X-A-I-N-Z-E-R-O. I'm usually tweeting about a whole bunch about things I like, which is anime video games or anime video games or Kamen Rider. Oh, uh, my favorites. And you can find me at at Chorpsway, um on Twitter. You can find me on YouTube at Chorpsway. You can find the podcast at CocoDisaster.com or on Twitter at at Coco underscore Disaster. 
You can find us on all of your favorite RSS feed podcast grabbers, um, like iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher. And you can leave a review there if you like. And yeah, so that's the end uh, of 2017. Um, Moving forward, our first single serving of the year, um, as I stated before, will be uh, the Devil May Cry anime series with my friend Beam Splash. And after that, we'll start getting right back into seasonal stuff. So until next time, I've been Chirpsway. And I'm Zane Zero. And sweet dreams. <laughs>